When do I get to do a pet peeve? Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's March 18, 2010. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination, Episode 183. This is No Agenda. Transforming your view of the nation we call Gitmo. Deconstructing the media from the Hilltop Watchtower Crackpot Command Center in Gitmo Nation West in the People's Republic of Southern California. In the morning, I'm Adam Curry. And uh, after that long delay there because of the uh, latency, I'm here in Northern Silicon Valley. I'm John C. Dvorak. It's Crackpot and Buzzkill in the morning. In the morning to you, my friend. I usually try to step on your line because we have a latency issue with these with this connection. Yeah, what happened? So at the end, when you say Adam Curry, I start talking when you when when I when you just after the word Adam. Why don't you just and, admit that you're drunk? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> just, just admit it. The whole chat room knows it. Everybody knows it. And so, yeah, right. And so, uh, and so, to cut down the latency. But, but I'm going over the no, no agenda donations list, not paying you, any attention exactly. at all. You are distracted. Well, a little bit. <laughs> See, I haven't got a formula down. Although we do have a formula. Yes. In fact, everyone needs to adhere to it because it's very, very simple. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. And we do it with pride, damn it. You know, somebody complains. Somebody complained about this uh, particular jingle. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. But, you know, the funny thing is I don't think people realize that one of the things that we do on the show that, that and the reason we use all these jingles, besides the fact that we mock the jingle, yes. is that they are used as segues and bumpers and all sorts of different, you know, mechanisms so we can move from topic to topic. Or, in the case of, like, we just used it there, we can stall because we're doing something. Because <laughs> we don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> we're fumbling around. <laughs> Which, by the way, is why they're used in real radio, too. Yep. That's exactly what they're for. And of so course, you get organized, you know, you do this, you do that. That's why they used to play long cuts so the guy could go to the bathroom. I mean, there's a reason for everything. Well, yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Of course, the old classic, of course, was the, the DJs in the, in the, in the room and he puts on a long cut of some album or whatever and goes to the bathroom and locks himself out of the studio. And- oh. Was that it? Mm. New World Order. Well, there was one DJ. Hold on a second, John. There was one. Hold, hold on. Whoa, that was really interesting. You cut out, and then you came back. Let me see if we're still streaming. Yeah. Wow. All right. They, it was the story about the DJ who uh, uh, apparently locked himself in the studio and, and locked himself in. You know, and these are like urban legend stories, by the way. Surfer Bird for eight hours. Everybody, yeah. Everybody knows the DJ that locked himself in the bathroom and played Surfer I actually Bird. know the guy. Yeah, please. It's an urban legend. So who's our executive producers today, Adam? Well, if I were in charge of that, I would have it all neatly organized, and I could tell you. Unfortunately, I'm not in charge. That's the only thing you have to do, and even that you've outsourced to your family. Uh, So, John, who are the executive producers for today? I'm waiting for the memo from the family. (laughs) Actually, Spongberg Limited. Spongberg Limited? Yeah. As an LTD or really spelled out limited? LTD, yeah. LTD. What is Spongberg yeah, they're, they're, Limited? They're in Alberta. It's, it's oil. Uh, they make oil rigs <laughs> or something. <laughs> what? Are we spo- Wait a minute. Our top executive producer is an oil rig? <laughs> an, oil, an oil supply company. Really? 
Yeah, they supply big oil, uh, different kinds of gear, you know, rope. I don't know. You're kidding me. That's awesome. Yeah, well, they also a knight. If I <laughs> wait, wait a minute. They, they supply rope? <laughs> <laughs> rope. <laughs> You've looked them up. Do they have a website? Well, you can look it up yourself. Spongberg, S-P-O-N-G-B-E-R-G. Big fans of the show. Really? Is that the whole company or just the CEO? How big is this company? I don't know. I don't know how big they are. The CEO sent us a note because now you've asked. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, they give us 275 bucks, so they're the executive producer. Oh, that's very so the, nice. So the show's been being produced by an oil company. Yeah, there you go. Finally, you all, you guys it happened. Can, finally, yeah, we finally. put it yeah, to yay. the tune of $275. We're in the money. <laughs> now, John, we've made it. We've officially made it now. Oh, my God. And <laughs> then, then we have uh, a new night. Okay. Cool. Uh, this is not so. We have no associate executives. We just have one executive producer, Spongberg Limited. Correct? Well, we actually have a. Uh, there's something wrong with this list. <sighs> hey, this is not my fault. Well, while you're looking at the list, <laughs> the best part of waking up is fluoride in my cup. Okay, we got William Arcand as what? As the associate executive producer. Okay, William. Arcand? Yeah, A-R-C-A-N-D. Arcand, okay. And he's uh, in for $200. And he's also a knight now. We'll talk about that later. Okay, are we doing knighthoods at the top of the show, my friend? No, no, we're doing the middle. Okay, good. Uh, And then uh, Tom Schuring from Zeist, Netherlands. Oh, uh, S-C-H-U-R-I-N-G? Yeah. Oh, Tom is uh, is an old buddy of mine. I think. He oh, would, really? I think he actually lives in Australia, or at least he did. Yeah, this is the guy that when I moved from the Curry Castle in Belgium, I uh, I had this whole you know I had my archive like the the Adam Curry radio archive, which consisted mainly of cassette tapes. You know what we call skimmer tapes, where essentially whenever the microphone is open, the cassette recorder would record, and so there's no uh, no songs on it, no music. Yeah, it was, it was a huge box. And I made a deal with him. He said, you know, I'd, I'd love to archive that for you. I said, well, I'll send you everything. And I sent videotapes and reel-to-reels and all kinds of stuff. I said, the only thing you have to promise me is that you uh, also put it online. So if you go to clogwog.net, uh, you will find uh, my uh, entire radio archive. And you know what else happened? Clogwog.net? Yes, clogwog. Huh. Um. I did a show in 1993 called Rave Radio, which was way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone put up a site, raveradio.nl, and they put all those uh, uh, all those ep- um, episodes, all those shows on uh, online. It's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, I was way ahead of the house curve. <laughs> oh, man. Huh. Some of the kids who built that site weren't even born when that show was on the air. Well, by the way, I will mention that William Arcand is in Dracut or Dracut, Massachusetts. So we want to thank uh, Will Arcand, uh, Tom Schuring as our associate executive producers, and the executive producer. Can, can you uh, say Tom's name again? Schuring. Gesundheit. <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> That's your one. Uh, and of course, our executive producer for this episode of No Agenda, episode 183, Spongberg Limited, supplying ropes to the oil industry since 1923. 
in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta, Canada, where, by the way, we get most of our oil here in the U.S. of A. It comes from Canada. It doesn't come from the Middle East, and nobody ever likes to mention it. And um, both uh, Will and Tom, uh, you can put this on your resume. It is known to uh, get you gigs. It is known to uh, get you laid. And it is known to um, just look generally good. And Spongberg, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they should put it on their website, I guess, you know, as one of their activities. Supplying <laughs> rope to the oil industry since 1929 and executive producer of No Agenda, episode 183. Perfect. I'm sure there's a lot of customers for Spongberg. He says business is good. Yeah, I bet you. What's oil at? 81 bucks? Yeah, I bet you you business is great. This is fantastic. Finally, people can say, oh, man, that new agenda is Korean Dvorak. They're just shills for the big oil. (laughs) Shills for big oil, I tell you. Shills indeed. (laughs) We did have somebody writing in that said, uh, hey, what difference does it make if if you're in commercials or you plug a website? You do that voice extremely well, because that's exactly the voice I heard when I read the email. <laughs> I was like, wow. That, yeah. Well, of course, there's no difference, except uh, we don't care about our sponsors. We care about exactly. our donors. Because <laughs> we don't kiss their butts, and we don't care at all. We care about the listeners, especially the ones who contribute. Yeah. Actually, we care about all of them. Yeah, we care about all of them. Everyone who supports us, we, uh, we appreciate it. And we'll talk more about that uh, later on in the show. So your top of the news is going to be, uh, I'm guessing, I'm going to push you right into it. Hmm. Okay. The airplanes, the airplane flight over that Northwest Airline flight that everybody's given up on even talking about. Oh, interesting you say that. Um, it wasn't necessarily my top of the news, but yeah, let me, um, let me just bring that one up. I was watching the Today Show yesterday, and uh, their top of the news, they go, whoa, news, big news, news. Oh, yeah, uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods. Woods. Yeah, of course. Bullshit. Um, here it is. Yeah, the, uh, you know, it's, the way I came upon this, I'm always interested in all kinds of aviation issues. And, um, and you know, I subscribe to a lot of geeky uh, newsletters. And I found out that the NTSB, the National Traffic, uh, National Transportation Safety Board, has released an entire. Uh, actually, it's a uh, the link that I have in the show notes, noagendashow.com, under the Ministry of Truth uh, Northwest Flyby uh, heading, is uh, actually the contents of a CD, which I guess they release, and it has uh, a whole bunch of affidavits and statements and you know everything from you know uh let's see what do we have arrival charts to the northwest northwest communi- northwest there you go the northwest communication procedures and of course this is the uh the way this was played in the news was oh these guys they fell asleep and they flew over minneapolis or they were arguing well so the news is that they're yeah, about love- to be <laughs> by the way i love that they were arguing yeah they're arguing <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're about to be reinstated. They get their uh, their papers back and they can fly again. So I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So they so somewhere someone made a deal because believe me, uh, these guys and they've been on uh, on um, what is it? They've been dismissed with pay during this entire uh, time, hmm. and um, which is also interesting because I think there was something else going on, and I I don't really have you know like aha, this is what was happening, other than. 
that this plane was uh, en, en route to Amsterdam. It had a stopover in Minneapolis. Um, and where was it coming from? It was coming from San Diego. And San I, Diego to... to uh uh, to uh, via Minneapolis to Amsterdam, and well, actually, but people, it, it, you know, it's one of those code shares, so they have to people would have to get off in Minneapolis and then go to uh, Amsterdam. The reason I know that is I have the flight attendant statements, and I and, and you know, how many times do you read in the news what the flight attendants actually witnessed? Well, you don't. And I, there's a couple of them are handwritten. This one is from Barbara, who I think was the... Oh, she was in the galley aft. And just and you just listen to this. It's kind of interesting. Brief before flight, normal procedures. Call during flight to cool off cabin. Call, turn on seatbelt sign. About 8.15 p.m. This is... 8.15 p.m. is already 15 minutes into the flyby. They've already passed Minneapolis, according to all the other data. Okay. I, I called the pilots to find out our arrival time. We'd been told 8.01 p.m. Pilot said we would be in at 12 Greenwich time. I said I did not know the time. He said I was hosed and hung up. <laughs> okay. Bonnie, was the, the, Bonnie, the lead, was on her way to the back, told her pilot's answer, and she said that it would be 9 p.m. Bonnie called from forward phone at 8.30, uh, got hung up on, once called again, to get gate, gate info for Amsterdam. Actually, it's spelled Amsterdam here. I was there when she called. Given prepare for cabin, that comes from the, from the flight deck, landed at 9.15, met at gate by police and other officials, and passengers asked to be seated and then deplaned. We had done arrival duties and left airport. So they were completely unaware, actually, that they were uh, an hour late and flew around you know, in a big circle. So here's one from... Uh, what, what did he mean that he was hosed? No, the, the, the pilot told the flight attendant, if you don't know what 12 Greenwich Mean Time is, you're hosed. But this, oh, is, when, was, this okay. is when they're, you know, so they're supposedly either asleep or they're arguing about, uh, you know, about uh, work schedules. And this is crap because the flight attendants are basically saying, uh, hey, aren't we supposed to land? So they, these pilots know something. Now, here's it from uh, Carol Jones. Uh, we, uh, there's a couple of interesting things here. Crew started out the day in uh, MSP on flight 187 to San Diego. So the crew actually started in Minneapolis, flew to San Diego. Then there was a change in the flight deck crew out of San Diego. So different pilots came on board, which is not typical, particularly because the Northwest Hub is in Minneapolis. And she's making note of it. Change your flight deck crew. I introduced myself to the first officer and captain, uh, and captain assigned to flight 188. Had a conversation with the captain about turbulence from Minneapolis to San Diego. Asked about any turbulence from San Diego back to Minneapolis. He informed me that Flight 188 would be taking a different route. But he would be keeping us informed about turbulence. Uh, left San Diego late. Uh, now, she really says nothing interesting until she says... Uh, I felt we were uh, in the air a little longer than normal. Upon landing, we disarmed the doors and received all call. Passengers got up and started moving bags. There was a PA that announced passengers should remain seated. Then there was a PA telling passengers they could deplane. I was in the back galley at this time. I could see individuals, including police officers, coming onto the plane, standing in the front galley, but they did not know why. Barb and I answered passengers' questions and waylaid concerns about the Unusual deplaning process, connecting flights, etc. So, it, you know, this this is there was no 
panic in the sky. The pilots were, in fact, another account here, the pilot actually uh, went to the bathroom at 8.10 p.m. You know, so there's, there's something, and the fact that these guys are being reinstated, I believe something happened up there, or they were put on this plane to, to uh, purposely either delay the connections to Amsterdam or to whatever the whatever they were doing, they were not supposed to land on time in Minneapolis. And they knew it. And they knew what was going on. Well, you think this way, I mean, I, I don't want to get sound like you. Yeah. But uh, maybe this was a trial run for the uh, crotch bomber in terms of, like, uh, setting up uh, systems to, to bring people off the plane and the rest of it. Well, what's also interesting is the cockpit voice recorder was purposely erased, out uh, irregularly released, uh, erased, I should say, as after the plane landed... And there's a whole, you can see that in the cockpit voice recorder uh, information. Oh, by the way, uh, the cockpit microphone was damaged, so they didn't record anything in the cockpit. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Coincidence? I think not! After taxi and shutdown, the CVR cockpit voice recorder was powered up three additional times, causing it to run on for a total of about 17 minutes. This run-on caused a portion of the in-flight recording to be overwritten. If the CVR had been deactivated or removed immediately after the plane was shut down, which you'd expect after this type of event, the recording would have captured 17 more minutes of flight. Assuming that power interruptions heard on the CVR occur at the same time as shows as those recorded, these subsequent power-ups, according no, they get all kinds of times there. So There's, what's your thesis here? My thesis is there was something, the fact that they're coming back, that they've been uh, on the sideline being paid and that they're going to be allowed to fly again tells me that they've been told to shut up about whatever took place and they absolutely were in control of the aircraft and their situa situational awareness at all times. And, uh, there were, and more people were aware of this because you have the DEN, the, uh, what does it stand for, like... Uh, disaster emergency network or something that if if an airplane has been out of contact with air traffic control for five minutes or more immediately all this you know that's when jets are supposed to get scrambled essentially because then you contact the den which um initially was not contacted was contacted much later and then den is basically the government who's supposed to take over so my thesis is something went on that we're not being told well, and, I think we've got that figured out. Well, but, Again, you know, ladies and gentlemen, the great service <laughs> of the No Agenda Show. In the morning. But I'm. But look, there's a. <laughs> I just got this yesterday, so there's a lot of data I've got to go through. Yeah, a, I mean, a lot should. of data. Well, it, which brings me to the suspicious story of the week. Tiger Woods? Oh no. <laughs> yes. No, the French railway SNCF F the French, you know, high speed trains mistakenly put out a dramatic statement on its website saying that more than a hundred people had died in a train explosion. And then they then everyone of course got into When was this, John? When was this? This was like either uh let's see what Do you have were. a link to this? Because I, I I couldn't find a Google link anywhere to this. Well I got a BBC story that ran on right here on uh March sixteenth. Okay. Which is Tuesday. And um yeah, you you can look up French train and you'll get it. I don't know how hard it would be for you to find it. <laughs> Let me try that Google search. <laughs> French train. And then type new and then hit the news button. French train. It's Let right me there. see. It's so hard to find. And then hit the news button. I'm following your instructions. Oh, French you're right. French railway 
SNCF in train explosion blunder. Oh, wow. Let's talk about this, John. Yeah, so anyway, so here's what's here's what's suspicious to me. Besides the fact that this showed up at all as a train wreck, is the is and they say, well, maybe it was an exercise we were doing. It was a, wait, it, wait, it, wait, wait, go go back and tell the story. You got to say exactly. Okay, what well, the story on Tuesday, was. this, this they, they released to the public the news that a French train, high speed train uh, from Paris to Dijon, uh, had gotten ex- a big explosion happened on the train. Of course, these things go very fast, and so 102 people were confirmed dead yeah, i'm reading it now and, 380 people injured yeah so now it seems to me and now they're saying well it was just an in-house training exercise i'm gonna read from the bbc report the staff uh, were asked to respond to a massive rail accident the staff member had accidentally posted details of the pretend scenario on the official website and the statement about the misunderstanding the sncf explained that it was obliged to practice as emergency procedures for the safety of yeah okay well they, we know that that uh what mechanisms involved that would post this on a website is is sketchy and the other thing is why would you have you know if you're going to do these exercises you usually don't have a you know something like 102 people dead 380 injured right. it's a little too specific <laughs> right. so you know? uh so what's your thesis on this john i think it was a uh i think there was there were planning they can't do it now by the way which helps me on my thesis because then, you know, it's un- undisprovable. But uh, I think they were planning some sort of a scam uh, uh, train wreck to uh, incite people for one reason or another, so for some political reason. You know, you sure. know what it reminds me of? It, uh, particularly, now this, this is a BBC story. This reminds me very much of um, 9-11 when the BBC announced uh, World Trade Center 7 uh, collapsed. Before it did. 20 minutes before it collapsed. Exactly. WTC said it won't go away. So anyway, so this is a screwball story that uh, falls into that category. I was watching, uh, actually at the airport uh, yesterday, coming back from, uh, I was going from uh, Oakland to Burbank. And I'm sitting there at the Southwest Terminal, and I'm watching uh, CNN as, you know, it's... Uh, you can't hear it. It only has the subtitles. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, there's a... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not CNN. CNB, uh, M- no, CF- it's usually, C- it's usually no, no. CNN. At Oakland? No, there was two screens. It was, No, it must have been MSNBC because it was Rachel Maddow. Oh, huh. Okay. And, or it must have been a repeat or something. I'm not quite sure. And it's uh, Maddow interviewing little Timmy Geithner, our uh, secretary of the uh, Treasury. And I read this uh, on the subtitles, and, I, and when I got home, like I had to find it, and then luckily uh, I was able to find it. Uh, as she talks about Timmy Geithner's uh, political record and uh, what he's done in his life, and I want you to hear the biggest lie in the entire universe coming straight out of his mouth, and of course, uh, Miss Mano does nothing to correct it, which is wrong to speak in her vernacular. It's wrong. Listen to this. Your political image uh, does not help them do that because you are seen as a Wall Street guy. And she's talking about uh, TARP and all that stuff. And, uh, and of course, this is all about the financial Wall Street reforms. Guy. Do you think that that image is unfair? Uh, first, you know, I'm not a Wall You know this. You I know, know you're not, not a Wall Street guy, but everybody <laughs> thinks you are. <laughs> no, they are. think you work for Goldman Sachs. <laughs> they think you were a banker. I never mean, worked on Wall Street, just so, you know, your audience knows. You know, I spent... Every job I've had in life, 
since I came into graduate school, in effect, has been working as a public servant in government. Okay. Let me reiterate. Since I came out of graduate school, every job I've had in life has been as a public servant. Okay. Please in go in government. Right. Please in government. go to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York website and show me where it says that is a governmental institution. It is not. He is literally working for the banks. The Federal Reserve system is it consists of banks. They have financial statements that are you know, that show their profit and loss. Nowhere on that do you say, oh, this is the government funding we get. No, nowhere does it say that because they are the broker for the United States. They are hired by the United States Treasury, but it is not a, a, a government service. It is, he is not a public servant. Their financial statements are audited by Ernst & Young. You can download them right there. The same company, by the way, that helped Lehman Brothers, that signed off on Lehman Brothers' fake accounting before they took a dive. The exact same company, the same accountants who signed off on it, scam artists. Tim Geithner, you're a freaking liar. You did work literally for Wall Street. Every single Wall Street bank you worked for. All of them are on your board of governors. You bow to them. You are a shut up slave. You were a slave to the bankers and still are. And he sits there and he says, with complete Bambi eyes... I'm not what you're trying But everybody thinks you are. People think you work for Goldman Sachs. They think you were a banker. I never worked on Wall Street, just so you know, your audience knows. You know, I spent every job I've had in life since I came into graduate school, in effect, has been working as a public servant in government. You know, I've never worked for a bank, never run a bank, never worked for a hedge fund. But, you know, I sat at the New York Fed, I sat at the Treasury, and I watched what financial crises do. Yeah, 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 whatever. So uh, it's funny that she's uh, that doesn't say anything. Oh, nothing. I and I, actually, I have the. I, I don't want to play the whole clip, but it just. And she's like, "I know you're not. I know you're not. I know you're really. <laughs> I know it's not true because I really know to be guy here because I went to the White House for the Christmas party. I know. I know. I know. I know." Bitch. <laughs> she's a part of it. You're you're a new. You're an MK Ultra slave, Rachel Maddow. <sighs> Oh, brother, I can see where this show's headed. <laughs> no, it just blew me away because people don't understand that the Federal Reserve and the banks that make up the Federal Reserve system are not a government institution. It is a play on words. Words matter. And Federal Reserve and Federal Reserve System is a commercial entity. They have a profit and loss statement. They publish it right there on their website. And they're a clearinghouse for the United States as per the Federal Reserve Act, which I am one of the people who believes that to be uh, unconstitutional, since only Congress should be able to uh, coin money. But that's a whole nother show. Yeah, that's we're, that we're never going to do, apparently. <laughs> Maybe I'll do it on the Daily Source Code, and it'll be a month-long <laughs> oh, yeah. month show. Knock yourself out. Yeah. You're going to start doing the Daily Source Code on Friday, I Tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow, I, I figured I'd bring it back with a FUBAR Friday, and uh, the rest of my day today will be spent prepping for that. And, uh, by the way, it's going to be different, although the same. I mean, everyone's like, oh, you're going to have the hit test back. Oh, you're going to have this. You know, it's like... The Daily Source Code has always changed. It's always been something different. It's always it's meant for experimentation purposes. And the only reason I'm doing it is because we have these sustaining producers for the No Agenda Stream at noagendastream.com, and uh, they're essentially supporting this coming back. So that's why it's there. Okay, so let's talk about something interesting. 
<laughs> Unlike my uninteresting little bit there. Thanks, <laughs> bastard. You're a Rachel Maddow hater. I sure am. So, uh, yeah, I know you actually are. I mean, I can't even bring a Rachel Maddow clip on the show without you groaning about it. And here you run a long one. So, uh, let's talk about the Toyota thing. Oh, you mean the warning to Japan? Yeah, the warning to Japan. But meanwhile, there's also, you know, why just have one thing going on at a time? Well, first of all, can I just, can I just remind our listeners that I predicted, uh, first my assertion, which I think you agreed to, was that this is, uh, Yes, the government effectively owns General Motors, blah, 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 blah. But Japan is now uh, a little bit larger uh, in debt holdership of our debt over China, according to the numbers I've seen. And uh, lest they get any ideas, this was essentially a, hey, shut up, take our debt and like it, or we'll bring down all of your companies. And I said, wait until they start doing recalls on Honda. And what did we see earlier this week? Honda recalls 410,000 cars for a brake problem. So I think uh, I think I get to say I told you so on that one. Yeah, you do. And uh, I think it was pretty obvious when we started talking about that's what this was all about. But there's also a secondary thing that keeps cropping up. And, you know, the way I always see it, why do something with just one goal in mind when you can have numerous goals in mind? And the second goal is the uh, is these black boxes oh, that yeah. they put in these cars, right? So, so um, the one uh, I think it was actually uh, there's either a bill being written or proposed about putting a black box into cars so that we can. Uh, oh, it's only for uh, statistics, of course. It's only you know, hey, planes have black boxes. Why not have one in your car? Of course, we know what the real hidden agenda is of that. So here's, but here's an interesting side story that uh, yeah, uh, came up, which is uh, an ex dealership employee has remotely disabled customers' cars in the United States. Yeah, more than a hundred car owners had their cars remotely disabled after a sacked dealership employee in Austin, Texas. By the way, this way you don't mess around. With people who know how to use computers. Hacked into his ex employer's computer, and dealers in the U.S. have the ability. This I didn't know. To disable the cars of customers who default on their loan payments. They can also make the car's horns sound repeatedly to get the attention of loan defaulters. Honk, honk. Hey, honey, why is the horn honking? Honk, 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 honk. Pay, pay, pay. Yeah, this well, is. Have a, have a voice in the thing yakking at you. Hey, buddy, you're going to drive this car some more? Pay us. You owe us money. Yeah, this is uh, an outfit called Paytech, delivering innovative credit solutions for 10 years. And uh, they even, right there on their website, uh, Paytech offers the potential to increase sales. <laughs> the segment How of does that work? <laughs> well, here it is. The segment of credit risk customers has skyrocketed over the last several years. The addition of Paytech controllers provides added protection and control to help you make sales targets and improve the bottom line at the same time. This is ridiculous. Yeah, so they can uh, disable uh, the vehicle and they can... Uh, uh, make the horn honk, and apparently this uh, was an employee who, uh, who got fired. And, uh, you know, it's not like a big hack. I guess he had the password. He went in, and he just at random started uh, disabling cars and uh, making their horns go off. The guy, of course, got arrested. 
Yeah, but you could probably, some of that knew what they were doing could probably have a lot more fun with this technology. And, and, and I would advise them to do so sooner than later so we can get this crap out of these cars. Now, apparently in Australia, it's well, like I, a mandatory... I'm, kind of, I'm sorry, can I just say one thing? If you go yeah. to uh, the Paytech website, on the website itself, there is a page. This is Paytech Online, the website for managing Paytech devices. To manage WebTech Plus devices, please click here. So essentially, you you know, and, and good luck. Uh, at, we don't condone this, uh, but you can essentially start hacking away today, right on that site. There's a, they're yeah. asking for a login and a password. It's not secret. It's right on their regular website. Log in here to disable your customers' vehicles. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not good. This is not a good thing in any way, shape, or form. People should know about this. I don't think half, uh, half. I don't think ninety-five percent of the public realizes that this is going on. And how can this be legal? You know, does it say somewhere in your agreement if you fail to pay, then uh, we're going to disable your car? Which, by the way, could have potentially uh, could, it could create a well, dangerous they situation. The they make the comment new, and if the car is actually running or moving, we will not do this. Right. But they obviously have the ability to. Right. Now, I think it's pretty wrong. Yeah, but this is this is an overall meme. This is what One Star is about. This is what the black box proposal is about, is to essentially have more control over your life. And I say go out and get yourself a nineteen ninety nine Range Rover. Where none of the <laughs> where none of the electronics work. <laughs> or it will break. <laughs> That's what you need. Some good well, British engineering. Which brings us to another point, which is how much of this stuff is is on these Priuses and these and these uh, newer you. newer uh, Toyotas, and how much is hackable, even though they don't want to say anything. And they made a big point. Toyotas made a huge point to an extreme, despite people like Steve Wozniak, who's totally convinced it's the computer that's having these problems, and you'd think he might have a clue. Uh, but the Toyota people who aren't even suggesting they're even looking into that. They're, they're just in complete denial, or they're at least making public statements in total denial of, oh, no, there's no chance it's the computer. Yeah. Now, yeah. with this kind of technology, and by the way, apparently in Australia, this is mandated. The Australians have been so screwed over, it's ridiculous. So everybody's got these black boxes. And by the way, if the black box can do this, it can see where you've go- gone. It can give you, you know, when, when, when is the next step, which is the obvious step, because we're trying to get more money into the taxpayers' coffers. When's the next step to say, we're going to look at everybody's black box and, you know, from whatever years they are. <laughs> I've, I've, been see- trying to look, I've been trying to look at plenty of people's black box. And I haven't been very successful. Give yourself an in the morning. In the morning, brother. But anyway, the um, the when is the when is the following scenario going to happen? And it will happen. Okay, hold on a second. We're writing this down. What will happen? John's making a prediction. The government is going to decide that it's okay to examine people's black boxes or, during a smog check perhaps, require the smog check people to do this. Look at the black box and see... Where you know, look at the GPS data, see where you were, and then give you uh, after the fact ticket. speeding tickets. Yeah, a ticket. Well, of course, this already happens in uh, Gimma Nation Lowlands. I know for sure, and I th- believe it's in other places as well, where they have you know metered uh, lengths of highway. I mean, huge lengths of highway. So if your car rolls over step one, 
And then 10 miles later, you arrive at uh, checkpoint two, and you arrive there too fast. So they'll give you a ticket. They calculate your average yeah, speed. Yeah, well, that, that's been in the U.S. for that, that was in the that's an old technology. Have that you, we, have you by here. the way, have you seen these cop cars in San Francisco? I only noticed it yesterday. They've got three laser uh, devices on the uh, on the roof. Have you seen these? They got laser devices on the roof. Yeah, on the roof of the car. And what they do is they're um, uh, they're scanning license plates as they drive by. They are? Yeah, they've got one on the left, uh, uh, on the hood. One you mean it's left, like one a barcode reader? For license plates, yeah. They're scanning license plates. They're going to blind somebody with this technology. <laughs> and uh, and then they issue a citation if your insurance has run out or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I've heard this. I heard this from uh, Tony. Uh, Tony, the guy who drives me to the airport. He's like, he, by the way, is a total nut job. I've connected with him. He's like... Chemtrails, chemtrails. I'm like, okay, Tony, you're driving me all the time from now on. At least I can trust this guy. I'm not going to get two to the head from him. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. Uh, no, but what about uh, your pacemaker? You know, hey, you didn't uh, pay your uh, your insurance premium. Let's stop the pacemaker. Well, you might as well. Yeah. This is just one more step before the total enchipment. Which uh, you have scoffed at over the years when I say that uh, they're on the road to this. But uh, I see more and more evidence that, uh, you know, it's chipping your pets and soon it's chipping your kids. And now I see, is it Verizon, I believe, who, uh, oh, give your kid this cell phone in the mall. It's her first time alone in the mall, but you can track your kid, luckily, through your Verizon cell phone. This is all good. You know, so why not uh, throw a chip in the kid? Well, we did look. What was the name of that website? The Chip Kid. What was it called? I think it's mychip.com, wasn't that it? Something see. like that. My yeah. Chip. Maybe that's. Yeah. A- no. There's a there's a site up there, and they're uh, they're claiming uh, they chipped to two hundred thousand kids already, or something like that. Mm, huh, interesting. Mychip.com is just a single page now. I thought it was something else. Well, I, I was wondering whether it was a hoax. Oh uh, no! This is no hoax, man. This is the whole very chip guys. No, this is real. My pets have been chipped forever. By the way, my, I got a, a pretty my good... Mychip.org. Mychip.org. Mm. I got a pretty good uh, site in the show notes how you can convert an old-fashioned flash camera into an RFID disabler. Um, because essentially, the flat, you can... Uh, you have to do a little bit of hacking, but the, you know, the old flash bulbs, they essentially create a little mini EMP event and uh, with that you can disable any rfid reader and it's pretty easy to make uh, mm. so you'll find that i'm a little skeptical of that i can't imagine getting enough from an old flash bulb to do anything no, yeah, you have to you have to add a capacitor and a couple other things you have to do a couple things <laughs> the thing blows sky high you've set it off <laughs> I'm lying. Uh, so, just uh, briefly on the topic of uh, sys admins. But wait, before we go there, we, let's stay on this chip thing. I want to read something to people on mychip.org. It's from the Grand Lodge of the Massachusetts Child ID Program. Uh, it's a, it's some sort of a, what is this? It's a Masonic Youth Child Identification Program. <laughs> Has identified more than two hundred fifty thousand children since its inception. It goes on and on and. I find this whole thing to be weird. But anyway, people go out there, go to mychip.org and check it out and see what you think. Well, they're starting here. It is fingerprinting, toothprints, cheek swab, 
And I guess yeah, the next- that's for your DNA, so they can get the DNA in. And by the way, I don't have the clip today. I'm going to talk about this on Sunday. But you know, we watch all these TV shows where you know they give the swab, and then ten minutes later, the guy's arrested for you know being a, a killer. Uh, they were talking about. I, I was recording, uh, listening to C-SPAN, listening to the FBI Mueller uh, being grilled from one uh, congressman after another, mostly kissing his butt, of course, but a couple of them asking some real questions. And they're like ninety days behind uh, on on normal uh, DNA testing everywhere in the country. It would take three months. These, I'll tell you. Oh the, yeah, you mean to identify? Yeah, a really long episode if they actually did any of these things. That's such bull crap. Uh, the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts dates back to 1733. It was the first in the New World. Ooh. Ooh. Well, that's pretty scary. Let me put that into the uh, show A Q-tip is gently rubbed on the inside of a child's <laughs> cheek to gather DNA material. <laughs> Not my kid, buddy. Let me tell you that. Not my kid. No freaking way. <sighs> so can I do my sysadmin thing? Yeah, go. Uh, so you know that we have a lot of uh, system administrators and network admins who we appreciate, and I certainly appreciate them uh, because they hold a lot of secrets. They hold the keys to our um, connected universe, and they actually will save the world when the demise comes. And lo and behold, there's a short story written by, not a guy I'm a fan of, by the way, uh, Corey Doctorow. And uh, this story is the winner of the 2007 Locus Award for Best Novelette. And you'll find this, uh, it's called When Sysadmins Ruled the Earth. It's a very bleak story, but it's well written. Uh, it's very fact, it's factually incredibly correct when it comes to um, the culture of sysadmins and the honesty and the values they have. And uh, it was so good that I actually, there's a little PayPal button there, uh, and I donated on behalf of No Agenda. Feel free to donate more if you want to. Uh, but it's a great story. Uh, and I actually, I sent it to a couple of guys in the office, and they, they, they said they couldn't stop reading it. Once they started, and it'll take you like 30 minutes. Once you start reading it, you just can't stop. And it's really, really good. And if you want to know, you know, you, you, of course you could watch the, the IT crowd, and think you know what, you know, like, oh, these are all just geeks. But these are real people who have uh, real values that I, uh, uh, I think are um, commendable. No, I agree. Actually, I had a, uh, I had a clip from the, uh, from the IT crowd, which was kind of weird. They were doing like an anti, uh, it, was a, it was a spoof, but was it really? A um, uh, anti-copyright uh, warning, essentially. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Here it is. It's pretty funny. We listen to it. Hold on. The IT crowd piracy ad. So they're sitting down in front of the TV to watch television. Here comes the ad. You wouldn't steal a handbag. You wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a baby. You wouldn't shoot a policeman and then steal his helmet. You wouldn't go to the toilet in his helmet and then send it to the policeman's grieving widow and then steal it again. 
Downloading films is stealing. If you do it, you will face the consequences. <laughs> the FBI comes in and shoots uh, the downloader with two to the head with a silencer. The, the only thing that, that actually struck Where me... Where did that show up? Where was that from? Uh, the IT crowd. That's that uh, yeah. sitcom. So it's, this, is, of course, is a, uh, a British series. And what's interesting is the hat, you know, you wouldn't steal a hat, you know, shoot a policeman and steal his hat. And it's actually a bobby with one of those bobby hats. And then the next one is you wouldn't go to the toilet in the hat. And you see the guy like with his pants down around his ankles taking a dump in the hat. I have heard, just as a side note, that, uh, and my daughter actually said that this, she said this was true. And uh, I guess maybe it's uh, an urban legend. But apparently, if you are a pregnant woman in the United Kingdom and you have to pee... A Bobby is obliged to give you his hat to pee in. <laughs> you got a pointy thing on the top so you can just stick it in the ground so it stands she, up. Yeah, exactly. She she said that uh, she was going to try the theory. And I said, uh, it'll be very hard to, to bail you out through PayPal. You may not want to do that. <laughs> can I crap in your hat? No, it's not for crapping. It's only for peeing and only if you're pregnant. Oh, okay. But that apparently is a meme. <laughs> for crapping. <laughs> not for, hats are not for crapping. Okay, there's got to be somebody that knows whether this is true, a law or not. I'm I mean, sure you know what? It doesn't knows. surprise me if it was. <laughs> it could be one of those really old things, you know. Um, I was asked uh, specifically by uh, a number of our listener producers to bring this um, bill to light <laughs> All right. So it's a uh, House Bill S three O no Senate Bill S three O eight one, known as the Enemy Belligerent Interrogation Detention and Prosecution Act of two thousand ten. You will find this in the show notes at noagendashow.com under Gitmo Nation. And of course, the the frightening thing about this, and this is about uh, uh, here it is military custody requirement. Whenever within the United States, its territories and possessions or outside the territorial limits of the United States, i.e. everywhere in the freaking universe, an individual is captured or otherwise comes into the custody or under the effective control of the United States who is suspected of engaging in hostilities against the United States or its coalition partners through an act of terrorism or by other means in violation of the laws of war or of purposely and materially supporting such hostilities and who may be an unprivileged enemy belligerent, the individual shall be placed in military custody for purposes of initial interrogation and determination of status in accordance with the provisions of this act. So we've gone from, you know, uh, enemy combatant to belligerent. Belligerent. John. Hello. That's you, Adam. You're belligerent. That's my point. This is what I'm so worried about. So I look up the word well, belligerent. Right. You have to, their defi- military definition of belligerent is slightly different. Well, but this is uh, the, the United States government. And, it, and belligerent, adjective, one, inclined or eager to fight, inclined, hostile or aggressive, Two, of pertaining to or engaged in warfare. One that is hostile or aggressive. I mean, that could be pretty much anybody who listens to this show. (laughs) Or (laughs) Or likes Ron Paul. Yeah, or who produces this show. 
And of course, you know, once you're in military hands, then you can be held indefinitely. And then you can be, uh, then you could get evaluated and then you're either a high value detainee or a high value detainee interrogation group. Yeah. And then they waterboard your ass. Well, or whatever they want to do. But, you know, so I just want, you know, you don't hear about this type of stuff, but it has a lot of uh, high-profile co-sponsors. Yeah, who who are some of those people that be, who who wrote the bill again? Uh, The bill is, hold on a second, let me uh, go to bills. And And I suppose this bill's needed because we don't have enough militarization of the country already. We need more. Uh, written by Why don't Senate- we just get rid of the court system and let the military do the whole thing? They do a pretty decent job. Yeah, exactly. Just bring them on the street. So the sponsor, uh, and this bill was introduced on March 4th, 2010, Senator John McCain of Arizona. Oh! And then there's nine uh, co-sponsors. The brand new senator from Massachusetts, Scott Brown. Right in on it. Right in. Then we have uh, Saxby Chambliss, Inhofe, James Inhofe, George, Inhofe. George Lemieux. What is it, like a French bastard sitting there in the government? <laughs> Mario Lemieux. Pepe, Pepe Le Pew. Then we have uh, Joe Lieberman, uh, Jeff Sessions, John Thune, David Vitter, and Roger Wicker. Oh, yeah, all the, uh, the supporters of human rights in the United States and, uh, and privacy. Right. And uh, so these are pretty high-profile uh, co-sponsors. And I guess we could... And I'm looking at uh, Thomas. I guess we could see uh, what the status is. So right now it is... Uh, where is the status? Isn't there some place where I can see what the status is? Bill summary and status. Why doesn't it tell me what it is? Uh, me, oh, me. latest major action... Referred to Senate committee status. Read twice. Referred to to the committee on the ju- judiciary. So it's now in committee already. Yeah, well, they could be killed there. Uh, it depends on whether the public gets wind of this. Luckily, uh, McCain is a lightning rod for the uh, conservatives who are trying to get him out of his job, basically by running somebody against him that's more conservative than he is, mm-hmm. in, in, as in the Republican primary. And uh, it's possible that uh, being a lightning rod, you know, some of the right-wing talk show guys will pick up on this and, and start slamming it. That would probably end it. They seem to be pretty consumed, though, with the health care bill. Oh, yeah, that's the only thing you can think about. By the way, so the health care thing, which is becoming a fiasco, and it also had nothing to see here moment. Uh, there was something interesting. I have a clip. Um, let me see if I can find my clips. I have a clip of uh, from a Hannity show where he has Dick Morris on. Now, Dick Morris was a security advisor. No, no. Dick Morris was a. He's a, uh, a campaign manager. Uh, he's he's like a Carl Rove type, of, a consultant right, that right, used to right, work right. for Clinton. Clinton. Right. And he's the guy who got busted for being with a bunch of one too many hookers. Yay! And so they rousted him out of office, and now he's just been a mean spirited, you know, shill for the Republican <laughs> Party. But uh, really, <laughs> he's still irked about it, and he writes a column that's always. He's the one who try, but he's also like he's a talk about COINTELPRO in time in terms of his style. He's the one who is trying to push the Republicans to into running. Uh, 
uh, although they could have done worse uh, in terms of their, the fact that they lost. But he kept pushing them to thinking that Hillary was going to run. He said the only way that the Republicans could win would be to run Condoleezza Rice for president. Oh, right. I remember that. Right, and he was right. dead serious about it. Or I, th- I mean, he wasn't really. I think he was just trying to get him to do it because it would have been a complete fiasco. But. But so he shows up on Fox a lot now, and he makes a bunch of uh, kind of weird comments. But he actually made something that was kind of interesting on Hannity. And the, the curious thing is that Hannity completely missed the whole point. He just flew right over his head, and Hannity went on with something else. But I think we should play this little clip, and uh, then we can discuss an aspect of it. He's going to tackle you, it's but go the ahead. same talking points. The administration has decided through all of its surrogates to get the message out that they're going to pass the bill. And I'm sitting here wondering why. Because if... Because there's no point in that. The more the bill is likely to pass, the more you're likely to vote against it. Because the first thing that's going to happen is it's going to ruin the health care system. Everybody's going to suddenly be paying a tax. Everybody's going to suddenly have their insurance premiums go up, which they might anyway, but now they'll blame the bill. You know what Colin Powell said about Iraq? You break it, you own it. Well, Obama would be responsible for everybody that doesn't have a stubbed toe properly treated once this thing passes, and the Democrats will take it on the chin. And, and, and Becca will explain it later, but I think what he's saying is they've got an ace in the hole. They, they've shown a willingness to bribe. They've they've shown a whoa, willingness whoa, whoa, to do whoa, whatever wait it minute, takes. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I missed something important there at the end. Hold on a second. Let me just say For everybody that doesn't have a stub toe properly treated, once this thing but, passes, but it, and the it, Democrats it, will take it on the it, chin. And, and, and Becca will explain. So what is he saying there, John? Well, the, apparently Hannity didn't know, but that was pretty obvious if you listened to it. He, first of all, the triggering point for this message that you have, and you have to assume this is true with a guy like Morris. When he says I was, they were talking about how they, all the all the operatives for the Democratic Party are told by the administration to say that the bill is a done deal. They're going to pass the bill, and so Morris's triggering point here, if you want to take it, break it down, is he says I was wondering why, and then he explained that the reason he's wondering why is because if the bill is going to be so easily passed, it gives everybody in the Democrat Party, especially the blue dogs, the opportunity to vote no on it without having to worry about you know it not. Passing passing because oh, it won't make any different right because they they can always say hey look uh, i voted against it and it passes anyway yeah, it wasn't my fault. They can say that to their constituents because there's a lot of Democrats that are in, in congressional districts where people don't want this bill to pass. And they're obliged to pass it because of the promises made during the campaign. But they just as soon vote no if they can. And if the message is out there that it's a done deal and it's passed, well, then they can obviously vote no. And so Morris says, why are they doing what, what, you know, this doesn't make any, any logical sense. Now, but if you take it one, and of course Hannity didn't pick up on any of that and went on something else. But... Which is unbelievable. Wait a minute. Debate. We had to have to play a little uh, douchebag. Douchebag. So here's what I'm. I was trying to say. Well, that's an interesting theory. And what is? Is there a, a way of looking at this in a, in a meta way? In other words, can we look above it and and perhaps in Morris's bewilderment, uh, let's assume that it's done on purpose and for a reason, which is 
to make sure that the bill actually doesn't pass because Morris makes a bunch of interesting points. Uh, if the bill passes and the, and the insurance rates go up, and don't forget we got the election in 2012. It's two years away. Let's say the insur- this thing passes. Next thing you know, the insurance rates go up. People don't get their stub toe fixed. All these things happen. All you, you start hearing is complaining for the next two years about where well, you passed this bill and we got screwed in the deal. And most people think, and by the way, today's the day the, the budget uh, group comes out uh, with the congressional uh, yeah, the CBO CBO so anyway so they go so so the possibility exists that and I believe this since the beginning since Obama's got more money than anybody else from the insurance companies uh, no this is fact we you go ahead and look he got 800 yeah. million dollars from here's, Wall Street insurance companies and Wall Street banks how about this for an idea they, first, they try this crazy scheme to just pass some sort of a memo to, to, to make it look as though they, they approve some bill, which that nobody's going for. And then the, uh, they have these talking points. It's almost as if the Democrats are doing everything they can at the highest levels, in other words, Obama's boys, to, to submarine this bill so it doesn't get passed, but in such a way that they don't get blamed for it. They can say, we tried, huh. the, the Republicans screwed it up you know this is despite the fact that they got this huge majority every which way the republicans screwed it up we tried and they won't take you know then they can they can be kind of blameless for the thing going down the tubes blame rush limbaugh blame you know the blue dog democrats they can they just throw blame at everybody and try to move on to the next thing because this thing is already a fiasco and the way it's the way it's headed if it does pass it will it be could actually be more damaging yeah. than the, the economy fact that 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 Obama couldn't get it passed. I mean, you have two things, two bad things that can happen. One, Obama doesn't get the bill passed. It's just, he is an incompetent. Or if he doesn't get it passed and it goes south, which is likely in the way Dick Morris sees it, uh, then Obama gets blamed for all this idi- idiotic, you know, thing. The public didn't want it because you know that they've, they've pushed the polls in the other direction. And I mean, it just seems to me that this is rigged not to pass. It's interesting because uh, another thing I saw uh, yesterday is that. Dennis Kucinich, who I believe to be the Democratic Ron Paul, after the president literally took him on the plane on the on the Air Force One and you know wined and dined him, the guy flipped. He says, "Okay, now I'm voting for it. It's really important. I've got to do this." And that was uh, disappointing. Yeah, was- but it was also yeah. But here's what it looks like: it was disappointing on the in the surface, but was it really, or was it was it just theater that went as follows? Obama so hard up to get anybody to vote for this thing that he gives them a free ride home on Air Force One at the cost of some god amount, ungodly amount of money. Which, by the by the way, would get me to flip in a second. I'd be like, "You're great. <laughs> can, can I ride in the cockpit?" So they awesome. fly him up there for some ungodly amount of money that the cost to fly this 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 seven forty seven, and they and he flips over and, and it looks like he was bribed and the word there's a meme going out there bribe oh everyone's bribing the Nebraska guys bribe 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 right I Louisiana mean, it, land purchase all it that actually stuff. makes it look worse interesting. Then it then it makes it look better, and it's and I think it may be part of the theater. Now, whether Ron, uh, whether uh, Kucinich is part of the scheme, I doubt. But he played the role perfectly. Didn't What's take happening much. there, John? 
what's is this, do you have helicopters flying over? <laughs> it's the garbage truck. Black helicopter. Oh, black it's garbage, garbage truck. Day. Okay, <laughs> it's garbage day. Nothing exciting. Nothing to see here. Move along. <laughs> It's garbage day here in Northern California. Well, that's very interesting. And, of course, uh, you know, it, this is the week or maybe next week, I guess, is when uh, something's supposed to happen. Well, Sunday. Anyway. Sun- oh, really? You think Sunday? That's what everybody thinks, yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we'll see. I mean, I think that we're seeing a lot of theater on both sides of the aisle, and it's like uh, what what they really want – is is still up in the air, and I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna bomb out, and uh, so it won't pass, is what you're saying. And what will I'm, it, I'm thinking it's not gonna pass, and I think the reason for it is Obama's boys have decided that they're gonna have to pull back on this and, one, and, and they might as well just blame it on the Republicans and uh, and yeah. move on. And this way, Kucinich, by the way, gets off. You know, he doesn't get. It's like it could it could have been brought into the deal. Say, look, here's what we're doing. You can flip now, and then at least when the thing bombs out, you won't get blamed. But if you're one of the people people that were was on the other side you're, we're going to throw blame at you so maybe it's a good idea even though we know you hate this bill don't worry it's not going to pass but we know you hate it so if you just flip over to our side for now which will make which will help us in our scheme you won't get to take any of the brunt of it and uh, you know everything's everything's good Although it just seems so perpendicular to uh, his stance on, like, you know, the illegal war and all of this. It's just like, what? It just makes no sense that he Well, it that. makes sense in that regard if you think about it as theater. Right. So right. I think the whole thing is uh, going to fall down. And I think the reason is because of this. Uh, I think there, I think I think Morris nailed it. I think he, he was he hit it right on the money. He says people are going to blame Obama for every stub toe you know over the next two years and it's going to make him difficult for him to get reelected. uh meanwhile we had uh our first earthquake here in los angeles yeah which was yeah, uh, there's a mild one though uh yeah it actually was very very mild and i'll tell you why in a second but you have to go back uh four days when uh, we had another earthquake off the uh, coast of central Japan, which, of course, did not make the news at all, uh, Tokyo felt it. Uh, was 50 miles off the eastern coast of Fukushima Prefecture. And uh, that was a uh, 6.6 magnitude. And then, of course, uh, we got a little, uh, a little flick of the switch of the earthquake machine here in, uh, in Los Angeles. <laughs> And you actually, know they have a lot of earthquakes in Los Angeles, and they were they existed before these this this before this the earthquake, earthquake machines. Machine. Yeah. Um, it's funny because it woke us up. You know, we were in bed, and um, I I don't know how long it was going on, but but all of a sudden all the windows started to rattle, and uh, we both woke up. And I say to Miss Mickey, I say, uh, "It's an earthquake." She Is that said, your first earthquake? Uh, no, but it's the first one since I've been uh, actually in California living. Yeah. I, no, I've had a previous one. Where? Uh, in Los Angeles, I was at the St. James Club Hotel on the uh, 12th floor, and I remember I'd been working all day. I was MTV uh, days, and I uh, and I was I had a beer. And I'm like, whoa, this beer really hit me. <laughs> oh no, wait a minute, the building is swaying. It actually is swaying. But uh, but this was funny because you know we're, I'm so into the earthquake machines and everything. Is that Mickey? Well, they're probably after you. Is that was that Mickey's first earthquake? Uh, yeah, I believe so. What did she think? Well, here's what happened. So we both wake up. We're lying in bed, and it's like, yeah, it's an earthquake. Yeah, it's an earthquake. And then it stopped. And then she uh, she grabbed me really tight, and she said, uh, 
I'm just taking advantage of the situation. <laughs> and then we went back to bed or back to sleep. <laughs> I was like, yeah, flick the switch again, boys. This is good news. <laughs> However, um, it did make me research something. Actually, it was uh, Eddie, the uh, formerly known as the intern, now full-time staffer at Mevia, who said, you know, th- uh, that 4.4 is actually really low on the Richter scale. And it's very low. We, and, but I remember we had talked about this, John, because the Richter scale is no longer used in 2007, and I rem- or 2008, I believe, you and I talked about this on No Agenda. They changed the measurement of uh, earthquakes from the Richter scale to the moment magnitude scale, which actually measures higher than a Richter scale. So a 4.4 probably would have been uh, maybe a 3 on the old Richter scale. And it's still kind of unclear why they made that change. That's interesting. I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, you forgot, but we did talk about it. Well, I think I'm going to talk to the... Do we have a, uh, a seismology uh, group over here at the University of California? And uh, I'll go over there and find out what's going well, on. Okay, well, so here's the article which uh, Eddie dug up for me from 2008. Trouble is the Richter scale doesn't work very well. The way it's defined means it can't measure quakes above 6.8, which is interesting because we had that 8.8 in Chile. So that means they're talking about the ML or the moment magnitude scale. Uh, what's more, when it comes to very faint quakes, which couldn't be detected back in the 30s, it gives a negative number. That's because it's a lo- logarithmic scale. An increase of one point on the Richter scale is a tenfold change in the amplitude of the seismic wave being measured. Nowadays, geologists have a new scale, the moment magnitude scale, or MW, uh, which was developed by Thomas Hanks. Hey, Tom Hanks. And uh, Hiru Kanamori. It's much more useful because it measures the amount of energy released in the quake rather than the size of the seismic wave. So anyway, the bottom line is we really don't know what this means anymore. And <laughs> yeah, I guess not. <laughs> and, and, you, know, like for, no, you know, it's like baseball statistics. Yeah. Always, you know, they worry about these steroid users because now you can't really compare Babe Ruth to a new to player today because they're, they've they got different musk, mus, muscles. And it's, it's unfair. So now, in other words, we can't say, well, there was that big quake in Alaska, that eight or nine or wherever the heck it was that, that uplifted half the country and compared to what we have today because the scale is different so we don't know. That's terrible. It's a plot, I tell you. Well, it makes it difficult to... Uh, makes just, it difficult. just on the... Uh, so anyway, so let's get back to your well, little quake there. So it, it rattled the place and it was only a 4? 4. 4.4. I mean, it really rattled the windows. I you mean, must have been sitting right on top of it. It was actually uh, exactly the same distance from downtown L.A., only on the other side. Uh, but it was only, you know, it was uh, East L.A., basically. So how many miles was the epicenter from your abode? Um, well, I could check. I think I have the link somewhere. Um, yeah, if it was in 10 or 20 miles, I suppose it could be pretty rough. But I'll tell you right now, it was the epicenter... It was one kilometer from Pico Rivera, uh, 17 kilometers from Lo- Los Angeles Civic Center. It was, uh, it was really shallow, though, depth of only half a kilometer. Wow. That's weird. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, really. No, I'm sorry. I misread that. Uh, 18.9 kilometers. I'm sorry. That was the, that was the depth. All right. Um, 
But yeah, you know, but the funny thing was is like I was completely not worried. <laughs> I was still like, oh whatever. Yeah, no, actually most Californians are that way. And I'm always I you always get a kick out of people in the East Coast who've never had a, a experience to uh, you know, they they get hurricane after hurricane and killing people left and right or tornadoes in the Midwest. And they're all scared to death of the idea of an earthquake. Yeah. Uh, if, if we, we we both agreed if both of our moms had been alive, it would they would have been on the phone immediately. Hey, hi, <laughs> how you doing? Is everything okay with the earthquake? You know it's how moms true. can be, right? It's like, <laughs> no, it's all right. We're good. We're good. Oh, it was terrible. Oh. Yeah, so, well, my sister, send money. my sister, yeah, send money. PayPal me something, mom. My sister actually did check in from Italy. So, uh, <laughs> and and it's funny, yeah, you know, it's like crazy. Um, you know, she's a fan of the show, that Willow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She uh, she she listens all the time. She actually sent me a note. She said, you know, because she just recently bought she a British donated. car. With, yeah, she's on a five-month, uh, $5 a month plan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, the, the, hell, yeah. I love my sisters. What about what? the other sister? Is she listening? Is she giving us, uh, you know, she on a plan? No, she's Douchebag. She doesn't. She doesn't listen. She's not on the plan. She doesn't care. She doesn't, does not care about the show. Does not understand. She care about the world then. So um, I was, li- you know, uh, I'm making kind of a weird transition here because uh, let's just presume that uh, we can go from earthquakes to climate change. Um, I did not know the Bill Maher show was back on the real time with Bill Maher. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think uh, you hate Bill Maher with the same passion that I hate Rachel Maddow. Uh, I don't know that I hate him. Well, but there was a very interesting clip uh, with Amy Holmes. Yeah, and sweet just- Amy Holmes. One of the uh, uh, she's a black woman correspondent uh, and, and, a, and a black conservative who has who's extremely intelligent, quick witted, and uh, and hot and hot. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and say it. She's hot. She's very pretty. And uh, so it's about uh, so there's two people on the panel where the one is a one is a Republican who's uh, just basically a, like a dish rag sitting next. He's not really doing anything. Uh, and then there's uh, another guy who's written some book. And uh, and the topic of climate change come up comes up. And what's and the reason why I'm playing this clip is not because of the video. I actually I viewed it as a YouTube clip. And when I was watching it, I was watching it on my iPhone. And it came through really blocky, and I couldn't really see it. So I wasn't even watching the video, but I was listening to the track, and that's why I want to play it for our listeners. And you tell me if you pick up on the same thing I picked up on, John. I'm just going to play a few bits I want to here. bring up this issue, because I think, as long as we're talking about health care, this is the ultimate health care issue, the environment. And here's the weekly standard, which is the Bible of conservatism. I and mean, there's Al Gore, you see, exposed... <laughs> Gotcha. See, it snowed this year, so Al Gore's a douchebag. Case closed on climate science. And this is my question for conservatives. Don't you want to live, too? I I do not understand. I just don't get it. The people who who write this magazine, they're not intellectually deficient. They must know that every serious climate scientist in the world... You could have heard it by now. I I presume you haven't heard it yet. Worse. I mean, if you read the newspaper, I know, an old-fashioned tactic. (laughs) 
But every week there's something that's more frightening than the last. But Bill, uh, these blizzards that we had in Washington, D.C., RFK Jr., he said, and you know, he supports this global warming theory, he said that he would never see snowfalls like he did in his childhood because of global warming. And what did we get? We got three blizzards in a row this last Christmas. So I don't, but, I don't think Amy, that weather patterns tell us whether or not global warming is happening. But people who advocated for global warming, they told us weather patterns can tell you if it's happening. Are you skeptical? And we have, and we have these. Are blizzards. you a global warming I'm a skeptic. skeptic. You and are? I am a skeptic. And how Phil could that goes, be? How could that be? How could that be? Because this, I don't think. I, okay, now it, it's going on the whole time, and you're not picking up on it. What? It's a laugh track. There's a laugh track during this entire show. Listen, if you, if you, so I'm going to play you a play laugh track. I'm going to play you a laugh track. <laughs> and the way you pick up on laugh track, so this is basically coming from the uh, Apple Logic Pro library. You pick up on a laugh track when you hear, there's always either a man or a woman going, <laughs> and it's the same woman over and over yeah, again. Yeah, Listen yeah. again. <laughs> right? Now I'll just go. I'll just play. I'm just going to play little bits here. I'll take it back a little bit. It's happening the whole time. Never see snowfalls like he did in his childhood because of global warming. And what did we get? We got three blizzards in a row this last Christmas. So I don't. But, I don't think Amy, that weather patterns tell us whether or not global warming is happening. But people who advocated for global warming, they told us weather patterns can tell you if it's happening. Are you skeptical? And we have. And we have these. Are blizzards. you a global warming? I'm a skeptic. skeptic. You and are. I am a skeptic. And how Phil could that goes, be? How could that be? How could that be? Because I don't. Do you hear the woman going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'll hear it the whole I just time. Were involved in it themselves. And the thing is, they mix it in with the crowd actually clapping because from time to time, you know, it's a very uh, progressive liberal crowd, and they will clap. But even then, they and I hear this. I mean, it's so clear to me. And it's, they're using standard libraries just to make it worse, but they're mixing it in with the actual crowd. You can hear the Jones, difference. The no, this is sweetening it. You know they're totally sweetening it. You know that you Phil know Jones also said, Amy. hold on, you're he so, also said you're so that the smart. Middle Ages yes. you may have smoke been the hotter pot. than it is now. <laughs> you haven't blown well, you your mind out in a car because you didn't notice that the You don't know that, actually, she says about the pot. I see. But do you hear it? Do you hear Yeah, and what they're doing is drowning her out. Yeah, so there it is. This is this is the actual track they're using. This is from the Logic Pro Sound Library. I mean, the whole thing is sweetened. And I went back and I looked at some episodes from... I got an episode from 2008 with Richard Dawkins. Uh, if you want, I mean, I can bring that one up. And it's, it's, they're doing it the whole time. They're sweetening these interviews with laugh tracks continuously. And I was just blown away by it. I'm like, oh, my God. Here, yeah, let's, uh, I spoke with the Oxford professor whose bestseller. Let me see if I can get a bit of laughter. I just want to ask you is. Maybe here. Their flight is canceled. Uh, what I first want to ask you is, uh, why is this book such a phenomenon? It was so much more than just a bestseller. Uh, it's hard because uh, this guy's not very funny, actually. People would be interested to find out uh, that in the book you establish a scale of one to seven of atheists. Come on. Seven yes. being someone who is utterly certain there is not, but you yourself. <sighs> to there it is. Here you really hear it here. There is, but I think it would be unscientific. You hear it right over the guy. Commit himself to saying there definitely is not anything. I mean, I can't definitely commit myself to saying there are no fairies. Uh, I'm pretty sure there are no fairies, but I think it would be 
unscientific. Oh, yeah. That's well, you can really hear that, that, one, that, one, that one woman. It's, this, it's the same woman over and over again, and it comes, as far as I can tell, it comes directly from the Apple Logic Pro library. Why would it? It is like here. Yeah, no, that's you're right. That's totally sweetened. That does not a natural laugh uh, in, in a uh, audience like that. And we, you know, how it's easily like guys, we forget? It's like laughing while talking to your neighbor, kind of a thing going on. Everyone's really happy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was just like, wow, this show is so fake that they, you know, they have to punch. I mean, sometimes there's actual laughter, but then when you really focus on the show and you're listening really, really closely, you can hear the actual audience who sometimes do laugh and applaud. But then when you hear that, <laughs> it's a sitcom. It's basically a sitcom. The thing is completely fake. Bill Maher is fake. He's a shill. It's fake. I recommend you not watch it anymore unless you're just going to. Watch to well, watch it with the. With, don't look at the picture. Just listen to the to the laugh track. Yeah, it's, good catch. It's hilarious. You win this week. Thank you. <laughs> uh, then I will uh, bring you another good one. Uh, this is uh, Barroso. I need to go over to Gitmo Nation East uh, or to the uh, the United States of Europe. And there's a YouTube clip that someone uh, pointed out to me. As uh, you know, so we have this uh, European Union, which is now the United States of Europe ever since the Lisbon Treaty, which was passed without the peoples of the uh, European Union actually voting on it. In fact, the French and the Dutch voted no when it was still called the European Constitution. And uh, so now all the power is centraled in Brussels. And uh, here is Barroso, who is the president of the European Commission, which I affectionately call Starfleet Command, talking to journalists. And uh, well, listen to what he uh, compares the European uh, the European Union to. This is sometimes I like to compare the European Union as a creation to the organization of empires, the empires, and uh, because we have the dimension of empires. But there is a great difference. The empires were usually made through force, with a center that was imposing a diktat, a will on the others. And now we have what some authors call the first non-imperial empire. There you go. They did it. It's like, yeah, hey, we, well, built, we built an empire without, uh, without force. We're, we're which is really basically smart. the thesis of the Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And which we'll talk about probably again in the future, uh, mainly because Perkins and people out there can go find this this video somewhere. Uh, Perkins a couple of years ago did uh, apologies of an economic hitman where he he brings up a few new issues, but essentially it's a documentary about. Yes, it, I, you know? I actually found uh, a, a Google video version of that. Thank you for giving that to me on uh, on DVD. So I've put that in the show notes already, so people can uh, watch that for themselves. Yeah, it's 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 entertaining. And uh, some the New York Times and some other uh, high-end critics said, "Well, it's a little dramatic." Dramatic, yeah. No, we we, we it's dramatic. Yeah, it's in other words, it's not boring. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, right. <sighs> so here's a story I want to discuss, uh, which is I have the clip here, and I think which kind of sets it up. This is from O'Reilly uh, about uh, it's a couple of different. There's two episodes in Massachusetts of uh, eighth graders that uh, apparently were 
sexting or whatever. And I think that it needs a little bit of discussion because this phenomenon, uh, I think O'Reilly's correct that it's an epidemic, uh, but I don't think anybody's solution for it has been discovered yet. You want to play that clip? Yes, I do. Here we go. In fact, file segment tonight is becoming very clear that cell phones are corrupting many American children. Almost every week we hear of kids sending explicit photographs of themselves or other kids to other kids. It's an epidemic. In Massachusetts, two recent cases are simply terrible. Joining us now from Boston, child advocate and attorney Wendy Murphy. You know, what's uh, disturbing about these cases is that they're in uh, suburbs that are affluent. Uh, Belmont, Sudbury, Massachusetts, you know them well, I know them well. Uh, normal kids um, from from homes that you would have supervision in, you would think. But let's take the Belmont case. That's the most recent. Uh, first, you know, some kid was selling pictures of a, a naked child, correct? Yeah, a, a girl in the eighth grade um, took a naked picture of herself, sent it to her boyfriend, and uh, he then sold to a lot of boys. Uh, a fine entrepreneur. Sold pictures, uh, those pictures, to his friends for five bucks a piece. Eighth grader. Um, eighth grade girl. Eighth grader. Both eighth grade. That's right. That's middle school. We're not even talking about high no, school. No, I, I know. That's why it's so shocking. Now, um, the school authorities, they know who was involved with this. What have they done? It's such a good question, and parents want to know. Uh, but a lot of this stuff is going to be hidden under that. So we don't know publicly. The, the, the school has not said to the public or to the press, "Hey, we have done this to the kids involved." They they haven't no. said anything. No, and I think that they won't, which is really sad. Um, well, parents uh, have a right parents to know. Parents should demand a school board meeting. Should have a school board meeting. Parents should go in, demand it. We'll be there. You'll be there. We'll find out. Now the authorities. I, I, this is a crime. I, the well, it is a crime, and and to the extent it's prosecuted as a crime, unfortunately. Unfortunately, I think they're going to treat it as a juvenile crime, which is, again, all confidential. Um, but, you know, the rumors are, I'll tell you this, the rumors are that the girl is gone and the boy is that sold the pictures is going to go to court. But again, if it's a juvenile court where nobody knows anything and eventually it gets wiped off his record, I'm not saying he should go to jail. Don't get me wrong. But the public has a right to know. And there's so much secrecy. Okay, okay. Yeah, and the oh, my God. Uh, all right. Well, so, let's, so this brings up uh, so many interesting I, I just gotta uh, you know, when I was in eighth grade, the only, the only thing we did during recess was, if you show me yours, I'll show you mine. One of about 40 points that need to be made here. First of all, let's back up a little bit because we're going to because this is impinging on or actually is about kitty porn, which became an issue sometime in the 80s. Uh, and I remember in the 90s before the Internet really started taking hold or before cam phones exist or the rest of it, uh, there were stories that started to emerge about uh, a, a, a a husband and wife being arrested uh, because somebody that was uh, printing out their photos at a uh, Long's Drugs or someplace. Oh, dude, uh, let me just had, let me just had, say that when Patricia, we when Christina was very young, she was like three or whatever, um, and she and she used to dress up in her mom's clothes, and she had this really cute outfit. She was wearing her mom's high heels, red high heels. And she had Mickey Mouse ears on her head. She had done this herself. And she was wearing a, a little apron. And she was in the kitchen making something. And there was, you know, and she was wearing nothing underneath. It was just her bare butt. And it was the, it's the cutest picture ever. I mean, it's just like completely cute. And Patricia took this to the, to the, you know, back in the day, the one-hour photo developer. And the guy said, you know, ma'am, uh, I, 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 you come here all the time, so I know you. But uh, normally I would have to report you for this. I'm like what? 
Now, this happened over and over and over again. It was given, it was put into the public's consciousness that a, a, the picture of the baby on the bearskin rug, a tradition yeah. uh, in America, a little baby just crawling around their butt hanging on the bearskin rug, was, was somehow kitty porn. And what happened, we, had, we morphed, we kind of lost track of what the word porn is supposed to mean. A naked person is not a pornographic image. In the old school sense of things, when they were trying to crack down on porn, porn required some sort of sexual act. It had to be something. There had to be penetration. There had to be some sexual element to yes, it, not with, just somebody standing around naked. With no um, no artistic value, I think, is part of the definition. That, too. But the point is, is that which was, was ironic because there was a bottle of Chateau Mouton Rothschild that had a stick figure drawn on it as one of their art labels. Then there was supposed to be some 10-year-old or something like that. It was indecipherable. And they had to ban that label from the U.S. as porn. Now, what is porn? Is porn anyone who walks around naked? Now, we this is kind of an interesting contradiction in, in some of the cultural things that have gone on. Are nudists and nudist colonies and naturalists... Porn? Is that porn? Is that porn? No, is that just, porn is just a porn set? No, is it just so weird. Be arrested? Crazy people. You're crazy. You want to be naked. By the way, this is very inherent to the United States of America, uh, which, of course... Vivid oh, really? So, so, so Patricia's uh, was getting her uh, photos developed here in the U.S. Yeah, that was in New Jersey when Christina was like three or four. Okay. Oh yeah, no this this was this was not in in uh, in Europe. Absolutely not. But the crazy thing is, the best porn with the hottest people and the best uh, pop shots are produced in America. Yeah, well, we know that, but the, but but the, the thing I'm trying to get around to, to recognizing is the fact that we've redefined porn, porn. Yeah. as nudity. Yeah, that's it's outrageous. And the fact of the matter is, th this thing with the kids shooting pictures of themselves with their phones because they can, and they're in their room alone alone half the time. Uh, is and you know taking a shot of somebody's breasts and send it to your boyfriend uh, is not porn. No. And even though it's like underage, yeah, you're underage for what? For sending out naked pictures of your of your top? Uh, the whole thing is some sort of it's something sinister about it, and I'm not absolutely sure what it is. But one of the things that got me about this particular episode here on O'Reilly was they made a big stink about the fact that this kid's name's not going to be revealed, and she made a point though. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, because I don't want him to go to jail. No, no, the kid, the kid needs to be made into a sex offender for porn. That's that's what they're going for here. Meanwhile, I don't see anybody outraged about the fourteen-year-old who kills somebody. Yeah, they bring it up if he's going to be tried as an adult. But there's a lot of crimes, theft, uh, uh, murder. All sorts of things that happens to underage kids that they don't make such a scene about. Oh, I don't understand why they're doing this in juvenile court. That we should know. I don't want the kids in jail necessarily, although you do. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is completely blown out of proportion to humiliate these kids who are basically goofing around. And, and then this redefinition of nudity equals porn is really, really extremely oppressive, and it's, and it's resulted in, you know, the same thing where the guy's in some state, God knows where, taking a leak in public because he's drunk, and he's, and he's peeing on a tree, and now he's a sex offender.
This is basically the way you marginalize true sex offenders. And you make this point all the time. There's a bunch of pedophiles out there and other kinds of creeps. And you marginalize them by making everybody a, a pedophile. So uh, By redefining every, You redefine. Redefining is the best way to go about this thing. And redefining nudity as porn is, the, is, the, is what they've done. And they've done it very well. And most people would say you, you, that's why they're all freaked out. They can't, your kid can't even wear... You know, you can't take a picture of your own kid. So your own kid, you can't take a picture of your own kid on a bearskin rug. So um, the reason why this is happening, John, and yes, I will get into my theory, is because the upper echelons of the elite, uh, particularly in the judicial system, over the years, the true pedophiles have collected there, have aggregated there, and I have some. I have four links in the show notes today, by coincidence, I guess. What you will not hear on Bill O'Reilly is the story of thousands of girls and boys who were raped and tortured and murdered in Canada's Aboriginal boarding schools up until 1985, where the Christian churches ran 100 boarding schools for Aboriginal children. Link to this story in the show notes at noagendashow.com. What you will not hear is about the Dutch girl Millie, who was found dead in her, uh, this is near Rotterdam, dead in her... Uh, garden, a cop lived next door and he was arrested, a cop arrested, and of course you won't hear anything else about it, or the BBC as they're reporting today about uh, this, oh this one really takes the cake, there's actually some audio that goes with this if you want to you know, take the little sidetrack, um, there was uh, uh, some parents who found out that a teacher sexually molested their son, they then went to the teacher, uh, this has happened a couple of years ago, and said, you know what, uh, you're going to pay for this, and instead of taking you to court or reporting you, you're going to pay us. The guy wound up paying 18,000 pounds to the boy's parents. Well, then the boy, of course, as he's older, he he pops out. This is, um, uh, you know, he, he eventually this comes to light. The, the, the teacher is taken to court, and he's let off. With a slap on the wrist, the judge literally says, uh, the judge, remember, part of the justice system, literally says, well, he's already been punished enough. He had to pay the 18,000 pounds instead of sending this guy to jail. Instead of sending him to jail for engaging in sexual activity, actual child uh, pornography, pedophilia, with a 13-year-old kid. Here's some audio from uh, BBC. I tell you, um, you, you... It, it, it goes beyond belief, um, and the judge. Uh, my, my wife is a social worker, and it's normally social workers that get lambasted when there are cases of abuse that come to light, and, and, and there are many. At NAPAC, we get a 1,000 calls a week from survivors. But nobody seems to have a go at judges, and yet this judge, in this case, has let a man walk free who sexually abused a, a, a child uh, on many occasions, um, other children will still be at risk from this man. And some of the terminology, some of the language that the judge used, I just find incomprehensible. Um, stuff like troublesome, you know. Um, it was a troublesome case. Clearly, the parents are troublesome. They should never have accepted money in lieu of reporting the offence to the police. And I think the least the judge could have done 
would be to award that sum of money to the child, put it in trust for the child, because he's going to have a troublesome life in future if he doesn't get a lot of help for the abuse that he suffered. And, and another thing that the judge said, and lots of judges do say this, Gabby, is um, that the, the perpetrator interfered with the child. You know, interfered. What a mealy-mouthed description of sexually assaulting a four-year-old child. Yeah, and this is exactly why I continue to say that words really matter. When, when judges say this, like, interfered with the child, I mean, this guy is spot on. And you can listen to that whole interview. It's linked in the show notes under the elite section. Um, but I am convinced, convinced that this has been building and they're all blackmailing each other. And John, probably, I think this is the track that you're on to. The, the only, you know, by now they're all giving each other up. And by the way, child protective services, the worst, the worst. If your kid gets into that system, forget about it. Uh, churches, you know, everywhere, these priests, oh, yeah, well, they molested these boys, but they're not going to jail. Oh, no, the Pope will write a letter. Thank you, Pope, for writing the letter. I feel much better now. And uh, the only way for them to cover up this huge crap that is going on, and we've talked about this almost consistently with all these different examples for the past months, is indeed to marginalize everything. Make everyone a potential sex offender, and they can keep on their jolly old way. Right, and redefinitions, of course. So we have uh, everybody scared to death and hypersensitive about uh, you're, they're taking a picture of your own child on a bearskin rug. So anyway, do, okay, I get to, so, do I get to play these porn clips now? Well, uh, if this is a kind, <coughs> kind of a real news. If you want to do real news, play the. <laughs> and now back to real news. I. Uh, I, you're going to give me crap when I tell you this, but... Uh. <laughs> well, listen, so John's clips show up this morning, and he had the two clips, one is labeled Porn 1, and the other one is Prawn 2, which could either be a misspelling or a purpose, I'm not quite sure. And so I'm excited. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for some... You know, I'm a huge fan of porn. Uh, <laughs> my first professional gig was overdubbing a porn movie uh, called Hot Pursuit. Uh, it received the fully erect penis award from Hustler Magazine. I did the voice of the lead character. So I, right, you probably can do I, I own voice. porn. I own subscriptions to porn sites. I love porn. Well, that's what this the, these two clips are about. Guys like you, apparently. So, like uh, you've never watched porn. I've seen porn, but I don't watch it for ten hours a day. No, you only need, no, you only need eight minutes. Eight minutes. Yeah. Well, then tell me what's wrong with these guys. Now, here's what you're going to give me crap about. Not about the porn clips, but about the fact that this is the first time I've ever seen the show Real Life. What is that show? Aha! Good. Thank you. Real Life is a uh, reality TV show on MTV that is about... Oh, Real Life. Yeah, I know what Real Life is. It's about losers. Play porn one. <laughs> it's about losers. <laughs> My name is Brandon. I'm from Placenta, California. Is there such a place as Placenta, California? Yeah. yeah. Okay, this is good. Good morning, Grandma. Uh, I live with my grandmother, and I don't have a job at the moment. So what's happening today? I'm not too sure. I'm looking for a job on Craigslist.com right now. I see one ad that says, great job. And then I see another ad that says, you know, check it out, free porn. I'd rather look at porn than look at jobs. Uh, this is the porn. 
Yeah. Porn allows me to enjoy women without having to deal with their real life drama. <laughs> I love watching naked women, but it's ruined many of my relationships. First time I saw porn, I was just a little kid. I got this mild euphoria. It's not taboo, I'm getting away with something. But when I turned 18, I definitely got into porn a little too much. I look at porn for about five to ten hours a day. What's up, dog? Same shit. Yeah. Just watch the party. Right. All right. Okay. So what's the point of that? Well, the, the, apparently the show is about people who are uh, who are addicted to porn, and I and as I listen to this, I think there's something bogus about it because I can't. Okay, maybe there are some guys that can look at porn for ten hours. Well, if you have nothing but, better to do, I mean, there you know there are people ten who, hours. Now wait a minute, let me let me. Back. I have seen enough porn to to realize that the only time you'd be looking at it for a long period of time is so you can walk away from from the screen and say, "Who are these people?" It's <laughs> like there's an infinite number of naked women. You know that show their face with an infinite number of guys who won't. So play prawn two. This is the other guy. Hey, hey, how are you? Good. I was wondering what you guys were doing tonight. If you wanted me to like come over later. Um, I guess that should work. All right. I love you. Yeah, all right. Bye. Bye. I wish you'd say I love you back. Aww. Aww. How sweet. The guy is a big. Ugh. What? The guy is this this a mega loser like the other character. Oh, okay. So what they're saying is, if you just want to love somebody and you want to be in a healthy, loving relationship, and you don't watch porn, you're a loser. Is that it? That's that's. Give me that one again. So, if you just want to be in a loving, healthy relationship where it's not all about sex and porn, and you just want to have a r relationship with another person, then you're a loser. No, no. Hmm. No, I think you got it twisted, but but you're <laughs> you're almost you're half right, as is often the case in these sorts of analyses. <laughs> well, I'm a half wit. Do you want to hear the rest of it? Yes, because now you have to realize that this guy's a big, he used to be apparently a fairly thin guy. He's addicted to porn. He's got a kind of a weird buzz cut haircut. That's oh, it's kind the same of, guy. No, different guy. Huh. The other guy's got a bunch of uh, uh, studs in his in his oh, mouth. Yeah, he's in he's, he's in the kinky shit. Uh, he's in there watching porn eight hours a day. I don't know what he's doing with this. You know how that accomplishes anything. And he lives it with his grandmother. That's the first guy. This guy's like been kicked out of the house. He's got four kids, and he and his wife won't have anything to do with him because he's addicted to porn. But he's so addicted, he's gone to counseling, and he talks about being sober in relationship <laughs> to not seeing porn. Which is like, do, do we can we come up with some other kinds of? Well, uh, look, John, the, this has nothing to do with porn. People get addicted to alcohol, to drugs. People, people have who whose lives are screwed up will sit there and scratch their arms raw for ten hours. Yeah, you well, know, let's play, pick, right. pick at their skin, uh, pull their hair out. I mean, th he has deep underlying psychological issues, which has nothing to do with the porn. That's my point, so, but the point. The other thing is, is they make this porn out to be some sort of a. I mean, the guy with the ten hours lives with his grandmother. They're they're trying to do the equation of, although believe me, like you said, eight minutes. It's like who is looking at porn for five to ten hours a day, day in and day out. 
I mean, that guy, I don't know. I don't, he probably doesn't have a lot of friends, but play this the rest of this clip. Live in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is a Valentine's that Denise made for me last year. I keep it on my workspace to help me keep focused. I met my wife, Denise, while we were in high school. And we were married exactly a year and a half after we started dating. At that point, I was masturbating and viewing porn probably every day. As it came out that I was viewing pornography regularly, that I couldn't control when it happened or how frequently it happened, I just had to finally admit that I was an addict. I loved porn because it gave me an opportunity to escape from life to a fantasy world where I was in control. Hey, dude, how about reading a book? My wife and I were working through counseling. I've been doing so many recovery programs, but I'm still not sober. And six or seven months ago, she asked me to move out. All right. I don't want to listen to this anymore. So anyway, so there's a connection here between this and the, this, pe- and the pedophilia. Yes. And go. the pedophilia and nudity equals porn. Go for it. Well, I don't have anything to say except that something's up. <laughs> well, yeah. Something is up. Something is up. You know what's next? I guarantee you, while we are still doing this show, and that could be another 10 months or 10 years, there will be a vaccine against porn addiction. I, I guarantee you there's going to be a vaccine against porn addiction. It's totally coming. But this is um, this is a modern society issue, and... I think it's also a um, uh, a, a, a a mind control programming issue. There's a lot of things going on with this. There really is. And uh, but at the bottom line, I'll say, naked is beautiful. Look at all the grandmasters. You know, when when Renoir or. Um, Oh, name any of the grandmasters. Well, you know, when, take when, a look at the, the big stink over Michelangelo's David when they, you know, they they wanted to dress him up so the school kids wouldn't see the actual sculpture. I mean, that's one of the things yeah. that's part of this whole this kind of a brainwashing thing going on, where nudity equals porn. Yeah, and when and it it's doesn't, wrong. It's and it's wrong. Nudity. It's wrong. And by the way, I'm naked right now. Well, that's the way you do the show, but you know. It's, uh, let's um, thank some of the people who support our show, John, because I feel that we still have a few things to go through before. Yeah, we uh, do. We, Let me go over the, the fifty-five ten. Uh, now this folks. is we, now this is double nickels on the dime. Which, somebody wants it explained. Yeah, double nickels on the dime. Yeah. A nickel is five cents, or the number five in American parlance, and a dime is ten cents. And so fifty-five dollars and ten cents is double nickels on the dime for you Europeans out there. So uh, I'm just going to read all the uh, double nickels on the dime guys that uh, Eric sent me a spreadsheet for No Agenda 183 for the Minutemen for uh, that show. Tom, and I'm just going to read them off, but, uh, and we'll go to some comments afterwards. Uh, Tom Bushy, St. Paul, Minnesota. Eric Braley, Paulsbo, Washington. Beautiful little town. If anybody's in the neighborhood of Paulsbo, make sure to take a drive downtown. Robert Pinder, Madison, Virginia. Pearl Mack, Markham, You're supposed, to, supposed to say net runner, but okay. Never mind. Keep going. Pearl Mack, Markham, Ontario, Canada. Nelson Ferreira, New Rochelle, New York. Uh, Wayne Bronis, uh, Bronikowski, Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Uh, Han, we do have a German. Hans Jörg Schultz from uh, Bad Doberen in Deutschland. And nice. 
which is probably a nice little town because anything with a bod in front of it means it was a bath or a resort town. Carl Bufa, Overland Park, Kansas. Richard Johnson, Spring Hill, Florida. Jason Laskowski, Selena, Kansas. Um, David uh, John Drew, Victoria, B.C. Matthew Mongan, Hampstead, Maryland. Jason Fenwick, Arlington, Virginia. John Martinez, Gilroy, California. Keith Sarlus, Seal Beach, California. Justin Bach, Lafayette, Louisiana. Matthew Shower. You know, Keith, uh, Keith had a whole note. Do we want to... Yeah, we'll get that? to it. I don't okay. have it on the spreadsheet. Oh, okay. Matthew Shower, Winthrop, Minnesota. Sean McGrath, Jersey City. Stephen Homer, Crook, Durham, UK. Uh, Vivian Hingsburg, Burlington, Ontario. Chris Engler, Milton, Ontario. Thomas Schaefer, Oswego, New York. Paul Love, uh, Mechanicsville, Virginia. Bruce Martin, Mount Juliet. We're going to have our full contingent of uh, green patches done here before we're done. Be completely uh, done, yeah. Uh, which was the last one I said. Matthew Shower, Winter, uh, Minnesota. Sean McGrath, Jersey said I did that one. Stephen Horner, Crook, Durham. I just did that one. Vivian Hong, I'm trying to catch up. Chris Engler, uh, Thomas Schaefer, Oswego, Paul Love, Mechanicsville, Bruce Martin, Mount Juliet, Tennessee, Patrick Schaumer, Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, Michael Mayatico, Milton, Ontario, Robert Gold, Toronto, Todd Webster, Fort Worth, where all the real money is in Texas, by the way. Oh, yeah. Sean Brady, Plattsburgh, Missouri, Scott Waldhair, <clears throat> Minnesota, Minneapolis, Scott Bodiford, Spanish Fort, we did him already, uh, I think it did last week, Brian Rowley, Chantilly, Virginia, so that's our little group of Minutemen. Who donated double nickels on the dime, and I'll... Uh Let's see, we've got um, one here from, and this was uh, Keith Sarlos, Sarlos or Sarlos, S-A-A-R-L-O-O-S. Apparently, uh, he has become a Minuteman for the No Agenda Militia on behalf of his family wine company, Sarlosandsons.com. And he would like to do his part in raising money for support of No Agenda by donating 5% of any wine purchased from com when other obedient servants mention No Agenda in the purchase notes. Now you're talking. And uh, he's also hooked up with uh, Supervising Knight Sterling Ellsworth in Santa Barbara. So there's connections going on here, which are really good. I would like to uh, welcome Bubba back to the fold. Uh, Bubba's been... Uh, been out for a bit, and he's back on the cage match at Dvorak.org and uh, contributing to the show in every way he can. That's highly appreciated. And, and let me yeah, get a ahead. few more of these out of the way. We have another 5510 from Justin, and it's pronounced Baquet, Lafayette, Louisiana. And if we need sausages, he's our man. And here's an interesting donation of $50.50 from Heather Bean in, in Groton, Connecticut. She, that, this is the first, by the way. This is a first she wants to call out her boyfriend, Jeff Glennon, as a loser. <laughs> I'm a lady, so I don't use the douche word. Douchebag. So she says he loves the show and he got her hooked and never donated. That's horrible. <laughs> Before you know it, he'll be watching porn 10 hours a day. Oh, poor Donating God. to No Agenda helps your porn addiction. Uh, Jaifi uh, Yang, uh, 
$99.99. John Martinez, uh, we got him. Uh, we also mentioned our, our uh, we got a couple of night lightweights that came in, uh, Larry Corpy and John Petrucci. Uh, and let's see what kind of notes we got. What was that one note you said that somebody sent us? Uh, oh, by the way, we did have uh, another person uh, going on $77.77, Seth Mooney, or Seth Mooney in Brooklyn, and he wants to call out his friend's Perkins and Walker as douchebags. Douchebag. <laughs> For not donating. Tom Humer, H-U-E-M-M-E-R, who always gives weird amounts of money, $88.43, loves the show. I've been listening since episode four. My donation is $55.10, so he wants to be on that list. Plus thirty-three, thirty-three, uh, which is his attempt to find some kind of job karma to my girlfriend who's been having a hard time finding a job keeping the good yeah, work. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say something about that because what we have noticed is that there is a lot of karma when you're looking for... Jobs, 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 and jobs. Let's vote for jobs! Now, so I'm, I'm getting people saying, well, if I donate uh, $500, I'm getting... No, no, no. The way it appears to work is either you take a lucky number, like a $30 or a 33 or... You sign up for the $5 a month, which it's a, it's still a lot of money for people who have no income. But you, it's weird, but you, we have scores of examples of people, the minute they donate, they get a job, they come back, they donate a whole bunch and yeah, really support the show. A long, long essay on how that works or why it works. There's something, there, there's something magical about it. I, I hate to say it, it's something magical. So, so let's go on. Correct. We got a, you know a few donations. They're all in the fifty, they're all 50 bucks. It's amazing. Uh, Greg Pollard of Madison, Alabama, just turned thirty three. He's hoping this donation will make this year the luckiest year of my life. But he's also calling out George Titsworth. Oh, yes, well, that's his real no, name. No, as no, no matter what he did, <laughs> just for the name alone, just for the name alone. <laughs> Lawrence uh, Franchek uh, from Danville, California, uh, fifty dollars. By the way, Pollard's from Alabama. Uh, Richard, uh, we got him. Um, gotta get past the fifty-five tens. Here's a uh, or oh, Armin. Well, that's it. We're done. I'm sorry, but I just fell oh, into last it? week's show. Oh, that's it. Oh, I got one Japanese guy that showed up. Here it is. Toshi Harada in Tokyo uh, sent us fifty-six dollars and seventy cents, and he's listening to the. He listens to the show in Tokyo. Nice. And, oh, and finally, Keith Bradshaw, I don't want to leave him out, uh, in Statesville, North Carolina, gave us 100 Okay, but so it's really nice that we've got a lot of these 55 10s, uh, but we're missing bigger donations, clearly. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a little disappointed. We have a lot of 55 10s, though. Yeah. So once we fill them up, we're going to have that. That's gonna, we're going to close, that, <laughs> close yeah. that and move to the next badge or something. But two nickels on the dime, you know, we got, these are Minutemen. These people have to realize that they're taking on a responsibility. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you get a patch and you also actually have to come to our aid whenever, you know, it's deemed necessary within a minute, like 60 <laughs> seconds, you know, like so. Like the police. All right. Hey, um, let's do our knighthoods. Yes. Uh, let me get back to the right page here. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, John, real professional there. 
Well, it's using the spreadsheet. I have to go through these things like one at a time to find the right thing. I'm going to have to come up with another solution to this. It's just like... Uh, yeah. Uh, will it involve hiring more of your family? Uh, let me get the guy down here somewhere. Uh, I had it a minute ago. I can do something you, else while you're doing all that. Yeah, you why don't you read something? Oh, to tell it where people can donate. Well, yeah. The uh, it's and and you can call it a donation. I call it support because uh, we don't take any advertisement on this show. If you're new to No Agenda, you're wondering, oh, what are these guys doing? We so this takes a lot of time. Um, we're spending a lot of time. Notice the word spend. So it's actual effort that goes into creating this program. We're doing about five hours a week now. Which is kind of, we've almost really created the third show for you by definition, but I'd, I'd still like to see us actually go there. Tomorrow I crank up the daily source code for the sustaining noagendastream.com producers. And uh, compared to our national treasure, which is, uh, as an example, NPR, National Public Radio, who pretend like it's coming from donors like you, but are actually taking advertisements actual real advertisements and sponsorships so that they can't pull apart the media the way we do. We can't, they just, there's no way for them to touch certain topics from companies like Monsanto, GE, Archer Daniel Midlands, and here's proof. Okay, moving on to money. How are NPR's corporate underwriting revenues holding up in the recession? And what about foundation grants? Um, two different stories. Um, um, underwriting is uh, corp- uh, underwriting is is down. It's down for everybody. Right. Okay, move it on to oh, money. Shit. Underwriting is is down. It's down for everybody. I mean, this is this is the this is the area that is most down for us. Is is in is in sponsorship, underwriting, advertising. Call it whatever you want. Yeah, call it whatever you want. Let's just call it advertising, because you you're done. You're toast. You're not a national treasure. You're completely part of the system and we're not so we'll be uh, announcing our night on sunday <laughs> okay we actually have two okay well that's good it's better to do the nights on sunday i guess yeah. i got a uh, a note here from uh was a couple things i want to talk about uh one was regarding the uniforms that we've been harping on uh, Petraeus, McC- uh, McChrystal, these guys are all decked out in all of their, uh, in all of their garb. And, uh, so we've been saying, you know, what is going on with this? All these symbols, you know, they're trying to impress us. What does this mean? And I got a note from, uh, uh, Specialist Snipes, uh, Chris- Specialist Christopher Snipes, I guess, from the U.S. Army, uh, who says the following in the morning, Adam and John, General Petraeus is the central command, commanding general. He oversees all military operations in Central Asia. In regard to your comments about his Class A uniform, his appearance in that uniform is in accordance with Army Regulation 670-1. I've attached the regulation for your review, which, by the way, oh my God. I mean, it even tells you how to wear your mustache if you have one. It's an amazing document. Please do not make ignorant statements about the Army uniform unless you are accurately informed. The awards, badges, tabs, and decorations are not garbage or stickers or anything to joke about. They are awarded for actions in combat, unit actions, military schools attended, etc. Sorry, I'm, I'm bummed that you said etc. 
Because some of the stuff, some of the et cetera stuff is pretty lame. Some of those schools are so difficult, only 30% are able to complete the training. Please do not denigrate the uniform of our army by likening them to clowns or third world dictators. And please to make jest about one of his awards. Uh, and please to make jest about one of his awards for being a douchebag. <laughs> Did we do that? <laughs> he should have a douchebag award. Regardless, <laughs> I don't think regardless of what you think. You know about our missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are many young men and women dying in defense of our nation. Those men and women are there because they are following the lawful orders of a democratically elected president. Love the show. Listen all the time. As I've stated before, once I'm promoted, you'll be receiving a donation for your hookers and blow. So let me say something about this note. First of all, uh, and I speak on John's behalf, we have nothing but high regard for the men and women who serve this country. We thank them for their service. We appreciate it. We feel horrible that you're being sent off to an illegal war, not to fight for the protection of our country, but to, to fight for the New World Order, and you are effectively slaves of the New World Order, and guys like Petraeus and McChrystal are at the top of the frickin' pyramid, and they are horrible to send you send these our young men and women, our boys and girls, out to die in deserts where they have no business being now let me correct you they are not following the lawful orders of a democratically elected president a war may only be declared by congress and that has not happened for either iraq or afghanistan these are illegal wars and you should not believe that they are following lawful orders of a democratically elected president that is factually incorrect and you should protest lay down your arms and quit that shit how do you really feel I'm, I, 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 it, I feel horrible that, that, that this, this mind control has passed on to these very brave men and women, that they believe they're following the, quote, lawful orders of a democratically elected president. The president may not send you to war. He may not send you. Congress may send you as elected by the people of the nation. They did not sign a, a declaration of war for Iraq or Afghanistan. It did not happen. It is an illegal war. You are there for poppies, for heroin. You are there for oil, for turf, for gemstones, and everything else that makes the entire elite happy. No, I would suggest that he reads the Constitution. And it makes me feel even worse when I read that suicides are fourfold in the armed services. Um, uh, abuse of pain medication up tenfold because you know it's wrong. You, you are so loyal to your country, but you know something is wrong. You're being fucked. <laughs> oh, gee. So and that's noagendashow.com, Dvorak.org slash NA. Can I use your jingle for a second? I really need it. Hit it. John C. Dvorak's pet peeve of the day. My whole family is government issue. I go to my family reunion. You know, my, the people in my family, they got fruit salad on. They wear their uniforms. They're proud of it. But they don't go on television to promote some bullshit wearing all their fancy little class A symbols. Because they know what's really going on. And sometimes they don't even because they've been compartmentalized, which is even When do sadder. I get to do a pet peeve? <laughs> when you have something you're really pissed off about. It just it, it angers me because, of course, I have nothing but respect. And the same, there's lots of cops. There's lots of sheriffs who are really seriously out there to help you and to, and to help the citizens. 
You know, you can't generalize and say they're all horrible. And and the worst thing is, is all the, the real money, the people who are getting paid, all these freaking consultants like Blackwater and Zeke or Z, who are taking the money, actually, I believe our servicemen and women deserve, they're taking the money. They're the ones that are really cleaning up with all of this. You're being screwed. Absolutely screwed. And it, it pisses me off because I do come from a service family. A serious one. Yes, you do. Uh, so anyway. So I will continue to joke about this clown with his symbolism trying to make him feel important about the bullshit he's propagating. Well, I am not a big fan of either Petraeus or uh, McChrystal. And... Uh, and this outfit they wear is, it's, yeah. Hey, let, me, a- let me give you an example. CNN, part of the entire setup and system, what did they release yesterday? Oh, we have an audio tape, which, by the way, we don't have a copy of, nor do we link to it, which comes from, apparently, supposedly, allegedly, American-born Muslim cleric Anwar al-Awlaki, who, of course, is now deemed as the true mastermind behind 9-11, and oh, Osama bin Laden? Oh, we'll never find him. Who said that just the other day? I think we've said that all along. No, no, no. It was uh, here, uh, Eric Holder. Listen to Eric Holder. He says, we, he will never be captured alive <laughs> because they know he's dead. Listen to it. This is crazy. I think there's a. Isn't there Either some that or he's living in Chicago. Attorney General Eric Holder told Congress today Osama bin Laden will never face trial in the United States because he will not be captured alive. In testy, testy, in testy exchanges with House Republicans, the Attorney General compared bin Laden to mass murderer Charles Manson and predicted that events would ensure, quote, we will be reading Miranda rights to the corpse of Osama bin Laden, not to the al-Qaeda leader as a captive. I mean, that's just basically admitting the guy is dead. He's been dead since 2002. Everyone knows it. He died of kidney failure. So, uh, okay. No, this is, hold on a second, John. My microphone is falling down. Oh. I have to repair the mic. The, you mean the mic or the mic stand? Yeah, the mic stand. So anyway, everybody out there, we uh, go a couple more weeks of 5510, and uh, then we're going to go back to something else. But uh, Dvorak.org slash NA or channeldvorak.com slash NA, and uh, we will uh, do our nighting. Uh, yeah, noagendashow.com. And others. Hey, and are we so, doing this email list? You sent me some code, right? Hello? Yeah. Are we doing the email list now with the show? Yeah, notes? yeah, we have to get this email list going. Well, so I send you some code. It'll be at the bottom of the page. It's it's it's, it's a it's a JavaScript. That, uh, uh, is that Glenn Beck? <laughs> so it's it's some JavaScript. We want people to get on this mailing list so we can uh, put the show notes in a more uh, <coughs> format. I'm sorry. This is my whole setup fell apart. That I was so angry during my pet peeve that the microphone stand literally collapsed. <sighs> this is bad news. Okay, so that means you can sign up for our um, for our show notes email free sign up. Cost you nothing, and uh, and it will. So because our show notes are just so long, it's even blowing up iTunes. 
Uh, we're not going to provide all of the show notes. Only the topics discussed on the show will be in the show notes, and then you can sign up for the free email in which you will receive, after every program, you will receive the full show notes as uh, as intended, and of course, all of the stuff we didn't get to. But there are some things that we will get to, such as, and I just love this because the last the 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 punchline is in the is in the last paragraph. You probably heard about the seventy five million dollars worth of drugs stolen from an Eli Lilly warehouse in Connecticut over the weekend. John, no, really, no. I was oh. too busy following up on some other project. Oh, okay. So uh, this is from the Wall Street Journal. The thieves disabled the interior alarm system, went through uh, a hole in the roof, and they stole a whole bunch of antidepressants and antipsychotic drugs worth wholesale $75 million. Now, that, that of course, is the big bullshit because it's just a bunch of chemical pills compressed. That's bull crap. It's uh, the street price. No, it's wholesale. Eli Lilly's spokesman says that's wholesale. No. So the street price might be oh, that twice that. sounds like that. an insurance deal to me. Totally. But what's what's so? There's a couple of things that's interesting about this. One is uh, the drugs have now gotten so expensive and so outrageous that they are becoming more valuable to gangs, and I will just say the mafia, than the drugs we're used to, like coke and heroin. This is now the real drug, and people are go, willing to go and steal it. And and it's drugs. It's like psychotic drugs. This is not like they're going to solve your problems. This is going to make you high. And here you go. The major pharmaceutical theft rings in the U.S. are in, can you guess, the three places, John? <laughs> Four places? Well, they'd probably be like, uh, you'd have uh, Florida, New York, Chicago. <laughs> exactly. It's where the mob is. South Florida, New York, New Jersey. It's like, yeah, duh. This is the mob. This is, of course, this the, the the drug situation has become out of control. Ugh. We we're talking. Well, luckily about- for Eli Lilly, only cost two cents to make all those pills. All at of once. it. All of it is nuts. Maybe we were talking about uh, drugging kids at the office. Do you know Bryn, who is now thirty-eight? He's one of our engineers. Do you know that he was a hyperactive kid, which you can totally see, right? And of course. Uh, and I was joking. I said, oh, well, back in the day, you would have been, you know, if, if you were that way, uh, if you were younger, you would have been deemed uh, with, you know, you would have had ADHD and you would have been uh, prescribed Ritalin. He said, oh, no, they tried to put me on Ritalin then. The guy's 38. This is how long this has been going on. They're drugging our kids. Guy's really? 30, he's 38. And they tried to get his mom said, no way. You're not putting that in my kid. No freaking way. You have a hyperactive kid. Live with it. The uh, nice little ditty here. The uh, apparently the, it's it's listed as the gun. But I thought he had two, but yeah, I thought uh, he had two. Well, okay, one. Well, he's got. You talking about the the Pentagon shooter? Yeah, yeah. But uh, two guns used in high profile shootings this year: the Pentagon shooting and uh, another one. In a Las Vegas courthouse, both came from Memphis, Tennessee, and were sold by the cops who had seized them in criminal cases in Memphis. Yeah, I heard that story, too. 
supposedly they, uh, you know, some jurisdictions, they confiscate guns and then they sell them <clears throat> as a profit center because everybody needs tax money or some, you know, income. And Tennessee, I guess, is one of these areas. And, and of course, it's places like San Jose. They crush it under a, you know. I always a, thought they turned it into manhole covers. <laughs> That's what I was brought up believing. Yeah, what a crock that is. Well, this is exactly what's happening to a lot of people who listen to this show. They they learn to look at the world in a little different light and not believe everything you were told. Yeah, well, I think today's big lesson was the it was the was the sweetening of the Bill Maher Mayor Maher Bill Maher Bill Maher Maher <laughs> Bill Maher's soundtrack is pretty uh, revealing. It's yeah, I don't know. So we have material. I got a whole bunch of stuff on this religion, or I'm sorry, a charity <clears throat> that I wanted to talk yeah, let's, about. Yeah, let, let's do that to wrap it up, and then. Uh, well, no, I'll, we're not going to do that. Let's just do a teaser, and we can talk about it on Sunday or, or later. Well, can we talk about the uh, this kind of ties into the kids, the the uh, recess coaches? Because that yeah. really outraged me when I heard yeah. about that. Yeah, you have that article in front of you, or a link to it? Uh, probably not. Yeah, somewhere. No, I have it. So, so well, I, I can set it up, and you can take it from there. How's that sound? Yeah, okay. Go. Okay, so this article that is from the New York Times, and it talks about a number of schools, and I, 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 these are public schools. I don't know if they're charter schools yet, which is a whole other thing, John. Yeah, we got to get into that. Oh, well, it's, there's so much bull crap going on with charter schools. And we have a lot of teachers listening, and they're sending us a lot of good information, so we're forming our opinion, not just the crap you read in the mainstream media. And uh, so there's this um, a charity which recently changed its name from, you know, Playtime to Play for School or something. Uh, John, you'll find that. We'll put it in the show notes. And they uh, essentially place recess coaches at schools. And the recess coach, who has a whistle, so the slaves can know when it's time to pay attention, uh, kids are effectively no longer allowed to just go around and uh, hang out and uh, you know look at each other's private parts and beat each other up and <laughs> dream up. you know dream or walk around or stand on their head or anything you need to do kind of as a developing human being. No, now they have structured games and the recess coach makes the kids do these games and perform these tricks and behaviors, as I'd say in Sea World. During recess, a so recess has now been hijacked by the elitist New World Order to train the slaves with a whistle to do games instead of what kids need. The definition of recess is like you get to go fuck off. Yes, yeah, recess. Well, let's listen to the woman who runs that organization that has the uh, coaches placed all over the place. She is one of many uh, 2,500 fellows in this worldwide organization called Ashoka, which we'll get into in more details because it seems to be something, uh, I, I'm not warming up to this operation, let's put it that way. And there's an interesting point that she, this woman makes. Now, one of the things, you, you when you listen to anybody from Ashoka talk, and I have a whole bunch of different clips that we'll play next Sunday, uh, there's a disjointedness to their conversation, which indicates to me that they've either been gone through something like Life Spring or something, God knows what. But they, uh, but there's a disjointedness to the conversation and then to the way they put words together and there's a neurolinguistic aspect. They just drop words in, especially the guy who runs the operation. There's just, a, he'll just drop a word into to a sentence structure that makes no sense. 
but the, but the the basic uh, craziness of this of this recess coach is kind of uh, exhibited here, and we'll we want to deconstruct this, and it'll lead to more uh, deconstruction. Oh, it's going to lead to all kinds of nastiness because this is exactly you know they've they're look school is set up to make your kids dumb, and now they're setting it up to control your kids to control them like little slaves and animals who respond to a whistle. Now, the woman starts off, I have her name somewhere. I'm going to have to dig it up. I'm sorry. It's Ashoka. Uh, A-S-C-H-O-K-A. Ashoka is the name of the operation, but the, the, the leader of this of this recess hijacking operation uh, is all for human play, and she thinks people should be playing, but they need to be more coordinated for some reason unknown. And she talks about the way it normally would be in a, in a school setting and in a recess period and how they they're going to fix it because, well, I guess they don't like what they're doing, but Play the homophobic remark clip. Oh, I'm sorry. I had the wrong one queued up. Yeah, homophobic remark. Here it comes. You spend um, an hour at lunchtime in the average public elementary school, and you will hear every slur, every, and, and you will witness um, kids uh, just wrestling with those issues in a very open, uh, very. tangible way. I mean, that's what they're doing. I mean, that's, that's a huge part of what plays about, is you're figuring out how the world works. And that's what Piaget wrote all the stuff about. That's what, that's what's going on there. Um, I just say that there's this great way of thinking about um, about play. The idea that we don't play because we're young, but rather we have a period of youth so that we can play. That's that developmentally important. And so, what we do with our staff is we talk about. Um, Making a yard safe, making a schoolyard safe, and what's involved with that. Making a schoolyard safe, it has to be safe. No, you're supposed to get into fights. You're supposed to get beaten up. You're supposed to, like, cheer on one side or the other. You're supposed to go show your private parts to some other kid. This is a part of growing up. You're you supposed to argue. You're preoccupied with this private parts thing, by the way. I'm just bringing it back. You're supposed to be walking backwards and twirling around and well, looking wait, at clouds. Wait, 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 stop. So here's the deal. So if you remember her early commentary was this is what she, first she says all these kids have these slurs and they, they, they're, they're nasty to each other. And then she says this is what play is about. So she actually predefines what play is about and she does say play is good. Then how does she go from that to what she's about to say? Is that the same, same clip? Yeah. And we talk about different ways to resolve conflict. We talk about the smooth over. And sometimes, you know, the smooth over is really okay. But by and large, what by we're and asking large. our staff, what we really want our staff to do is that if they hear um, a, a kid make a homophobic remark, no. um, call, one kid calls another kid a faggot, we want our staff person to do the totally counterintuitive thing and not pretend you didn't hear it and walk away and avoid that, but to turn towards it and really make the kids talk about it. And we go through all sorts of procedures. We bring in folks who have more expertise in different you know, areas. So here's what you have. You have a bunch of goofball kids on their recess, and then somebody overhears something they don't like, and then they go over there, and then they make the kids talk about it, ruining the recess, obviously, and you know, the kids won't say anything anymore. Do you now know what a faggot be- is, Tommy? Do you know what that means? It stands for fag, which is homosexual. Do you know what a homosexual is, Timmy? 
And so what you end up with is a, is a bunch of kids, because of this kind of onerous situation, becoming very circumspect and not playing at all, but worrying about big brother. This is essentially a training mechanism to get the big brother notion into every part of our lives, including recess. And this operation is part of a bigger group. And by the way, when they talk, when a Shoka guy talks, let me just play this one clip, and this will give you an idea. This is from a uh, another operation where they cr- create these little messages uh, and this is uh, you'll hear the beginning of it which is the intro and then you'll hear the message from the leader which, uh, which clip the, is the which clip which this clip? is the weird empathy bit okay hit it Global X interviews social entrepreneurs who tackle some of the world's biggest problems. They are pioneers of innovation that benefit humanity. A single group of leading social entrepreneur Shoka Fellows focuses on children and young people. Maybe 450 out of the 2,400 altogether. Um, what really matters is whether or not Children master applied empathy. What, what, uh, give me the de- definition of empathy, please. Uh, that means you kind of you can see things from somebody else's perspective. Okay. And whether young people, twelve to twenty, master empathy, teamwork, leadership, and hit adults or adulthood already knowing that they are change makers because they've already been change makers. They've already been powerful. They've started a tutoring service, a teen-to-teen confidential hotline in the afternoon, a virtual radio station. It doesn't matter. Every child must master applied empathy or they are going to be marginalized. If you weren't given the tools... Oh, we need some tools! We need some tools! Applied empathy as a young child which is inexcusable. If that didn't happen, we shouldn't be blaming you. We should be blaming us. Now, that really makes me angry because we're doing that. Maybe 25, 30% of the world's people are marginalized because we failed to do something so simple. We have to have a revolution analogous to the civil rights movement or the women's movement so that all young people, not just the children of the few fortunate families who go to the best schools that actually encourage this, but everyone grasps empathy, practices it, and then practices empathy, teamwork, leadership. This is the most fundamental revolution that we have to get through. Global X is also on Social Edge at socialedge.org. So that guy is the head of uh, of Ashoka. He is Bill Drayton from uh, Arlington, Virginia. Where all the spooks are from. And uh, this operation, which is huge, by the way, they have this woman who does the playground thing. Uh, she became a fellow with this op- with this group. By the way, uh, Jimmy Wales is one, too. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Makes total sense. Because well, Wikipedia. that way you can control yeah, what's in the Wikipedia. Exactly. That's why the Wikipedia has no anti-global you know uh, global warming stuff in it. You put anything in the Wikipedia about skepticism about global warming, it is out within 10 minutes. 
and uh, go try it. Anyone out there, try it. See what see how far you get. Ten minutes. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the 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 funding of this George Soros's boys. Oh, of course. Uh, of companies course. like Bain and Company is somehow. Oh. Linked. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, you've heard about them and the uh, economic hitmen. Yep. And uh, it's very interesting operation. They've got millions and millions and millions of dollars. The, the woman who has runs this operation out of Berkeley that we heard from earlier, talking about uh, you know talking to the homophobic uh, kids. Uh, she got a grant for four point five million to work on, on. Dude, we're begging for double nickels on the dime, and she's getting four point five million to mind control the kids. We're trying oh. to actually save them here. What's going? Yeah. On. The world is crazy. Uh, Four point eight million, hmm. actually. Now that I think about it. Anyway, the uh, it's very interesting. And if you want to hear a good example, if we should have time for one more clip. I got a bunch of them, by the way. You know that guy uh, who we just heard? He was probably beat up at recess and called a faggot. That's probably the whole problem. Well, he's a very weird character. He's very slow talking. He's got a lot of neurolinguistic tricks. He he talks and throws in words out of the blue, and it's very interesting to listen to him and try to analyze him. But you might want to let's see which one I have here. I have the Ashoka at Google, uh, Ashoka film pitch. Well, play the film pitch while I try to figure out what the other one is. This is the Do pitch. That they, this is the pitch that the company uses to promote themselves. To identify extraordinary natural leaders who are emerging worldwide, Ashoka has built a rigorous five-step selection process. A pro- is this a guy British? No, I Well, the guy that Drayton isn't. I don't know who this guy is. This guy is a douchebag. Process that in itself helps candidates hone their organizational vision. As Lee Hamilton said, Ashoka invented, refined, and globally implemented a highly rigorous adaptation of business venture capital methods that finds and helps launch the best new social entrepreneurs and their ideas and institutions. 60% of those it selects change national... This sounds like Nazi propaganda. I swear to God, I swear to God, listen to it. It's like, like, we will find the Aryan race, the best ones, we're social entrepreneurs, we'll bring them to the forefront and we will rule the world. ...policy within five years. Now back it up. ...and helps launch the best new social entrepreneurs and their ideas and institutions. 60% of those it selects change national policy within five years. What we're looking for first, and very simply put, is is this idea, together with this person, going to change the pattern in their field, education, human rights, whatever, on a roughly continental scale? Ashoka's real power is that it is a many-faceted community. It enables these ideas and change-makers to weave together, to do far more together than they could alone. This community without borders is also building business society bridges that will have extraordinary impact. As community grows, change accelerates. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. That's really rough. We're, we're going about this all wrong, John. We are trying to teach people something. And help them. We're trying to help people transform their lives and the lives of their families and their children and their spouses and helping them understand. And, and, and these guys are just, they're just bl- 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 rolling out all the mind control. 
I would like to know, you know, they, they always say they're going to do this to change public policy, and they want to, but who's determining what, what is good and bad public policy? They, I, now, I can't, I don't know this for a fact, but I do know that the woman, the, the Berkeley woman, used the word the training, which indicates to me some sort of one of those, you know, like a, a est, uh, life springs. There's a whole, all stems from mind dynamics. And one of the things that these kinds of, and they, they go through, I guess, a lot of seminars, but one of these things, uh, one of these, types of uh, environments, uh, these mind dynamics type of environments, uh, in the early stages is very confusing to the brain, it, like shorts people out. And so they can't actually uh, think in terms of linear uh, constructs. So they, when they speak, they, they, they just, it's just a mishmash of, of sentences and concepts and, and words that sometimes it's almost ludicrous to listen to. And a good example was this guy Drayton went to Google, because Google's got some guy over there was a big fan of this thing and he went to google and he gave his little speech that's where they played that movie and then his one of his first world women that you know ever did anything is this is this girl that they brought out who's going to china to help fix their somehow fix their legal system uh i can play him introducing her which is interesting enough but let's just play her the piece of the piece of her little discussion and listen to the dis Oh, the disorganized uh, mess of, of, of sentences that she throws together that, that have no continuity. And we'll talk about this more in the future. But just listen to this change makers Google girl. A hard thing. What should we do? Well, one of the things that we do in China right now is we bring together these change makers, these social entrepreneurs who are. This whole social entrepreneurs is freaking me out. Is that like Mark Zuckerberg or what is that? What defines no, a social entre entrepreneur? Well, you start this from the beginning again because you can't get the full impact. But the social entrepreneur is... Um is essentially what they've done is they found people who, instead of starting a company as an entrepreneur that would start like a software company and then go to a venture capital guy and get funded and then go make it into a, 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 a operation that actually makes money, these are people that are in the... Uh, Let's say the do-gooder business, or they, or they, they're in the charity business, or they're in some sort of a. Uh, uh, oh, the, you mean they're going to be in government eventually? They're NGOs, and many of them they'll probably never be in government because there's more money to be made doing this. They're non-governmental organizations of one sort that have some sort of a program, like the recess program, that can be blown out in a big way around the world uh, to get some sort of message across or to, to help implement some. I think this is all about one world government uh, and another attempt to uh, ruin or take uh, the uh, United States' sovereignty away at some point. That's what this is really all about and that's why Soros and the rest of the people that are throwing money at this thing are, are so so high on it huh. but there is some sort of a um, some sinister aspect to it I can put my finger on it but just listening to this woman try to communicate and the way she just to play it from scratch a hard thing what should we do well one of the things that we do in China right now is we bring together these change makers these social entrepreneurs who are criminal defense lawyers into groups of a hundred and they share their share their stories work together and also look at the laws many of them have at times said to us you know this is important but what's also important is that we're able to come together as a community so one poem which I'd like to share with you which we always read there is is this one it is take courage friends 
The road is often long, the stakes are very high, and the path is never clear. But deep down, there is another truth. You are not alone. Uh, <laughs> now let's all hold hands and share a secret. Exactly. You know, the funny thing is, is that she's going on about these... Why don't we let these kids, you know, like read Yates or study Shakespeare, by the way, was a great guy for... It was an early pornographer. Uh, you know, why don't we have them do that? What's these change maker crap? Well, the change makers are out there, and it's a lot, And I've talked to a number of people about this. This is, a, by the way, a huge operation. Nobody has heard anything. They, they keep a real low profile, uh, and they... Uh, yeah, but meanwhile, they're indoctrinating our kids on the playground. Yeah. Well, but it's for good. It's for good, Adam. Let me read a poem. Well, I'll let you read the poem in a moment. I don't have a Every, poem. <laughs> everybody, it doesn't even rhyme. Everybody who... Um, who has a kid who is a listener slash producer of No Agenda, ask your kid if they have uh, recess coaches. Let's find out. Let's find out if this is really rampant, if this has really taken off. We need to know. This is so bad. You know, change, social, social entrepreneurs. Means we're like anti-social entrepreneurs. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why we're don't we uh, social entrepreneurs? I like it. Yeah, why don't we leave it at that? And I will write that down as a new mantra for us: the anti-social entrepreneurs. And let's pick this up on Sunday because this is clearly big. So uh, don't really forget big. to help us out here if you like this sort of thing. Noagendashow.com, Dvorak.org slash NA, and the ever uh, popular channel Dvorak.com slash NA. And if you are migrating from PHP 5.1.6 to PHP 5.2, you will encounter a disappearing page issue for pages over a certain size. Would you care to uh, guess what the... Uh, size of the character string that blows out uh, PHP 5.2, John? I don't know, 333? 33,333. Oh. If the character string is 33,332, no error. If it's 33,333, it's an error. I'll put that in the show notes because this is more proof the magic number is with us everywhere. It's good to know. And you should donate $33,333 to noagendashow.com. Maybe we'll get a check from Soros. Coming to you from the Hilltop Watchtower in uh, Southern California, Gibbo Nation West, I'm Adam Curry. And from uh, Northern Silicon Valley, sunny California, I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you on Sunday for early service right here on No Agenda.